All right, take two. I'm here with Mr. Nigel Page all the way over in England. We uh, had a little recording problem yesterday, so we're going to try it again. Nigel, how are you doing? Yeah, not too bad. Thanks, mate. Um, it's a nice sunny day here in England. Um, we've had a shocking winter, but um, the weather seems to have picked up lately. But unfortunately, you know, we can't go very far. Um, but I'm, I'm lucky enough to have a bit of space where I live and, you know, open fields so I can... Currently, anyway, I can get out for a bit of a, a bike ride and ride the pump track in the garden. So I'm one of the fortunate ones at the moment, I think. Yeah, no, definitely seen your Instagram and seen your, and we'll talk about it a little bit, your backyard uh, pump track or track. Um, it's pretty cool that you can uh, still kind of ride your bike and have fun. Um, let's get right into it. So give us a little brief background history, finding BMX, starting BMX, and then obviously we'll move through the years into what you're doing these days. Yeah, no problem. Um, so yeah, I've, I've always been, um, you know, my whole life pretty much, I've, I've always been interested in uh, bikes and motorbikes and anything with two wheels really. Um, I, You know, when I was uh, learning to ride my bike, like most people did in the street with the mates when I was about three years old. Um, and then when I was four, just coming up to five, my dad got me a little old um, Italojet motorbike for Christmas with 10 inch wheels and metal mud guards. Um, Obviously, I thought Father Christmas had brought me this brand new motorbike, but it turned out that my dad had bought it as an old uh, beat-up thing, and he'd done it up and repainted it. My dad was an engineer and really good with engines and stuff, so he got it all working. My mum uh, recovered the seat, and yeah, as I say, I thought that was a brand new motorbike. But um, I used to ride that all the time. Like I used to, um, when I used to go to school, I'd come home at lunchtime and. Uh, ride that around the house, um, make little ramps in, in the in the uh, path there for that thing, and um, rode that all the time. And then when I was about uh, eight, I would say, um, I wanted um, a, a new bike for Christmas, and um, basically the the kind of bikes you could get back then, as you'll remember, was you either had a racer, a grifter, or a chopper. That was pretty much your option when you when you was about eight years old uh, or maybe a tomahawk right uh, but I, I wanted a um a grifter uh, i guess at the time and i ended up getting one of those for christmas uh, i was super stoked with that thing i remember going down to our local village where everyone you know would meet up on the bikes and razz around on the waste ground and just blast through the village and stuff and um I remember there was these two older kids in our village um, called Glenn and Scott Knowles. And them two guys uh, had these new bikes for Christmas and they were called BMXs. And um, I've never been disappointed with with, with a present. Um, you know, I got this brand new Grifter, I was super lucky. And then I seen these these lads on BMXs and I was, I was just gutted. I was like, man, I need one of them bikes so bad. They look so cool. Um, I think one was an old school mongoose and one was an old school talker. I remember they having, you know, the the button up um, pads on there. The talker had the twin top tube, and you know, I think I think the talker was like black with with um, yellow wheels on it, and it just looked super cool. And I remember going home and saying to me mum, "Mum, I've seen these BMX bikes, and um, I, 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 they're just amazing. I don't think I stopped going on about them all all summer." even though I've just got this new grifter for, uh, for Christmas. Anyway, um, you know, we used to go riding a lot, you know, pretty much every day on our bikes, and I'd always bend my forks on my grifter trying to do jumps, and those things just weren't, you know, built for the job, really. 
Um, and so later on that summer, I think my mum ended up getting me a BMX, um, a uh, Huffy Pro Thunder. It had like metal mags on it and uh, blue tyres and uh, a pedal back brake. And oh, I love that thing. I spent the rest of that, you know, summer holidays that year just riding that every day and learning how to wheelie and, uh, you know, do jumps. You know, we'd make jumps in the street with planks of wood and bricks like everyone did back then. And go down to the waste ground and kind of, I guess, ride what is it, is really what BMX is all about, and that's riding your, your bicycle on dirt, um, which then led me into, you know, being interested in BMX, and then we started getting the the BMX magazines from America in the, in the shops. Um, I remember, you know, getting those from the local news agent and checking out all the super cool bikes you could get in there. And, you know, in the States, like Robinsons and Redline and, you know, Talker and um, Mongoose and all, all those super cool brands. And, you know, that that just kind of changed changed my whole um, life, really, because uh, not only did you ride, ride bikes, but it was like, a, you know, an interest as well, other than riding the bike. You know, you, you, you read the magazines and... Look, looked at all these these cool images from the states and and this country and that kind of uh, just kind of took over your life. That was like my only real interest. Um, and then um, I think uh, the the Christmas of eighty two, uh, I've been going on to my mum for ages about these these uh, these BMXs that I liked, and somebody word of mouth had told me there was a really cool shop in somewhere in Wigan, which wasn't too far away from where I grew up, um, called Alan's BMX, which, you know, many people will be familiar with now. Alan, Alan has uh, kept his shop running through the thick and thin of, of BMX, um, and he's a, a friend of mine now. But I remember going into his first shop, which was basically an old warehouse somewhere in in Wigan. I remember walking in, in, in there with my mum, and I think it was Tony Holland's uh, race bike was was just up against the wall, and um, to this day I'll never uh, forget. That was like the coolest thing I'd ever seen in my life. Like it was this chrome Robinson bike with uh, blue and uh, red graphics on it, and then all the parts matched. There was, you know, it had um, uh, anodized blue and red components on there, and blue and red. I think Amy Grips and um, you, you'll probably remember yourself. It, it just looked the coolest things ever. Um, so I remember being so excited in that shop and went, went upstairs to the kind of shop counter where Alan worked um, and explained, you know, I'd come, I wanted a Robinson and he, he explained uh, some of the parts that I should probably build the bike up with and um, ended up getting that bike for Christmas, which was a a Chrome Robinson Expert with blue array 7X wheels and blue Sagino cranks and diacomp brakes in blue and, um, you know, the rest of it. And I, my mum bought me a Robinson uniform from there and a, a Kiwi helmet and stuff, mouth trap. And um, I think the, uh, my birthday's in February, so I think it was the end of January, my dad took me to the local BMX track at Three Sisters in Wigan, which a lot of people will be familiar with. He took one of, one of my friends from school and me along there just, just to ride um, our bikes on the BMX track because we kept going on about 
this track we'd heard about. Anyway, it turns out there was a race on that day and I guess my dad must have just entered me uh, and ended up racing and got a second place little trophy. And I thought, you know, 10-year-old kid thought, this is the coolest thing ever. And then I think from that point uh, in, in um, 80, uh, February of 83 until the end of 88, I barely missed a, a weekend going racing on, on the BMX bike. And so that was some of the you know best memories of, of my life is uh, doing BMX as a kid. What was some of them? I mean, you was in a, you was the age group below me and, you know, it was so deep. I mean, any age group was really in, in the UK in the 80s. It was just, you know, a lot of sponsorship. I mean, the sport was really booming during the period you was doing it. And uh, some of the guys you raced against, John Greaves, Nicky Restel, um, Jeremy Kenning, uh, even Jason McCroy, who went on to be, you know, big, big name in mountain biking in the in the 90s, unfortunately, before he passed. Um, yeah, tell me a little bit about some of the guys you raced with. Yeah, so um, obviously I started off racing at um, Three Sisters in Wigan and some of the guys I raced against early on in sort of 83, 84. Um, the local kid who was fast in my age group was called Andrew Unsworth and um, I used to you know, try and beat him every week. Um, Gareth Holmes um, and then regionally, um, yeah, John Greaves was national number one, I think, um, then. Uh, obviously he used to come to... Three sisters now and again, and we'd get to race against him. Um, and he was, you know, at the number one plate at the factory mongoose and stuff. And um, I just used to think, wow, I'm never going to beat, beat that guy. Like, um, and then, yeah, there was, um, I think at that time, there was Clifford Welly, who was um, one of the top guys in the country, who rode for Kuohara, Nicky Restel on Diamondback. And then, you know, a year or two later on, came along, um, you know, Jeremy Kennings, who who dominated our age group um, for, for a few years. He was a huge kid. Um, you know, and, and back then, as you know, the, the, the track, BMX was a lot different to it is now. It was, it was you know, flat tracks and not too many jumps and lots of pedaling and flatter start hills and stuff. So if you were a big, strong kid, you, you know, you had a big advantage as long as you could ride the bike. Um, I was never that strong or um, did that did did amazingly well um, at racing. I just you know loved it. Didn't really care too much. Obviously, um, you kind of have your own battles with with your own local kids and, and regionals that you you wanted to beat. And some of the fast regional kids that I raced against was like Warren Davis, Gary Cocker, um, Andrew Unsworth came along. Um, then Darren Croft got really good from Wigan also. Um, there was endless names, Dale, as you'll know. Um, a lot of other fast kids nationally was um, like Dean Bateson from Birmingham Wheels um, and uh, Matt Leach from Morecambe. He, he was a fast guy for, for a while there. Um, and there was tons of them. Um, I did uh, okay at racing. Um, obviously, um, national level, I didn't really do too well until I got a bit older. Um, I remember... I got uh, Northwest number one one year. I think that was maybe when I was 14 or 15. Um, but some of the other guys that we used to kind of ride with in, in that um, time was the, my local little crew. I lived in a village called Rainford, and there was myself, uh, Martin Rogan, um, Steve Jones, and Rob Bryan. We all kind of, that was the little crew that we had from our village. There was, there was some other kids as well, but they didn't really go to the races, so... 
we kind of hung out and tried to, you know, make little BMX tracks in the in the village that you know for practicing on jumping and I used to kind of enjoy that stuff just as much as racing to be honest. Um, and then um, you know I, I went to quite a lot of national races with my dad. My dad used to like taking me. Um, I mean, uh, first of all, my mum and dad used to come along, and then about a year or two into it, my, my dad bought. Um, he used to work for a company that was linked to Vauxhall, and he, he bought a bedroom van, and he put a bed in the back of that, and we used to go to nationals and camp in that. And, uh, you know, got really good memories of going all over the country racing and um, and, and going to various uh, other countries to race as well. I remember going to um, Dijon uh, for the European Championships early on. Um, I actually ended up going to... Um, the world in, in Whistler in Canada, um, I think that was 85, was it? 85, um, yeah. And that, that, that was one of the first times um, I actually got to ride a mountain bike. Um, I remember me um, and um, a, a lad from Wigan who was a couple of years older than me, um, Andy, oh, his second name's um, gone out of my mind now, but you'll definitely know who he is well we ended up going there with my parents um we, we kind of went for a holiday as well as as going to the world um but that track to me was was amazing that it was downhill and loose and um, that was the one of the first times i realized you know how fast some of the some of the uh, guys were in my in in the world um and that was a super cool experience that i'll you know i'll never forget um, and then, yeah, I um, I used to race um, cruiser and 20-inch. Um, I used to go to race a lot at Ribby Hall um, in the early days as well. Um, that's where I met sort of Darren Levy one of the first times. And then I remember Dylan Clayton coming along uh, in the early days to, to race there. And, that, you know, Darren Reedy used to win everything in, in that age group. He was like two years younger than me. And then this young lad come along um, on a, uh, he didn't, even, it wasn't even a race bike. It was some like cheap thing with big mag wheels on um, that we all kind of started on. Um, and he was just flying off the first jump, but he, he you know, he was super close to beating Reedy. And uh, that that ended up being Dylan. And then you know, everybody knows the story of Dylan. About a few weeks later, Alan Wood sponsored him, put him on the the factory program. Robinson and he cleaned up in the what was that the 10, 10 year old? He went straight to number one, yeah. It's probably been about nine or ten, yeah, when he was on Robinson, which would have been about yeah, eighty-four ish. So Yeah, so I mean that that was cool. There was a lot of fast guys from, from Wigan, you know, they had a good crew and they all kind of uh, sort of learned off each other and pushed each other and you know that's how I think Darren Croft got really good. He was, you know, one of the fastest guys in my age group and when we were kind of 14, 15 year olds. Um, and, you know, there, there's tons of, tons of guys. They had a really good um, scene there. They had obviously the, the track at Wigan, which was a national level track. And then these two have jumps in the local woods and we'd occasionally go up there and ride with them guys. And then um, uh, it, was, it was good, you know. Um, we, had, we had a great time. And then obviously... Uh, when you start racing nationals and, and stuff, you get to know lots of other kids in your age group from all around the country. And, uh, yeah, it's just 
brilliant times. And then I, uh, I ended up racing BMX until I was uh, in the kind of the 15 expert class. And when I got to the 15s, I started getting a lot faster than I, I had done previously. Um, you know, I think, as I say, I won the Northwest number one title and I started getting in the finals at the nationals. I got a second at one national behind Crofty. And um, quite a few of these bigger kids that used to smoke me, I kind of started catching them, them up. I guess being smaller, I learned to corner and jump decently and um, once it got a little bit more power it got um, a bit easier for me um, but then I ended up um, stopping racing um, basically as soon as I turned 17 um, you know another good friend of mine other than uh, Warren Davis uh, was a, a lad from Liverpool called Carl Rowland um, I used to go and ride with him a lot when um, I wasn't we weren't going racing, and um, we'd go and meet up with Tony Fleming and ride at, at the old Walton Wally Old Jumps there near where Flemo lived, and um, used to spend quite a lot of time riding with them guys. Um, and then when I turned, turned sort of 17, I remember Carl quit racing, Warren Davis quit racing, and all my crew from, from Rainford, they all stopped riding before I did. Um, and... I kind of just had no one to ride with, so I guess I just, um, you know, lost lost the love for it a little bit. I obviously then got a car, um, so I was dr- driving around in the car because that's, you know, something that's exciting when, you, when you're 17 and you first get your licence. It gives you that freedom to go wherever you want, and, and, and then also at that time is when, you know, the, the rave scene sort of kicked in in the UK, <laughs> and, um, you know, you probably know... Um, we ended up going to all them dance clubs in Manchester, the Hacienda in Liverpool. There was uh, Quadrant Park and Cream and a load of other places. And um, yeah, I had a normal nine to five job at that point. I worked for the St. Helens Council in a finance uh, department. And yeah, just basically quit racing and didn't ride the BMX anymore. Um, and that was the start of 89 through until about 1994 um, when I got a motocross bike and um, went motocross racing because uh, I always wanted to do that as a kid and wasn't allowed to do it. So that kind of, I guess, you know, for what, eight years or so, I basically just worked in the op- in that office, which I absolutely hated. But, um, you know, my mum always said to me I needed to have, you know, a job and I kind of worked in the same place from when I was 16 till mid-20s. Um, and then um, I was actually raced, second season I was racing motocross. I was doing pretty good at motocross. Um, I, I won a lot of races in the in the sort of, uh, it was called the junior category at AMCA and then moved up to the senior category. That wasn't an age thing, it was more of a, you know, a level. So it was kind of like novice and intermediate and then expert. So I ended up going into expert within a year of, of racing motocross. Um, and so I was really, really getting into that. Again, you know, it was another passion that I had when I was younger, uh, like the BMX. So, you know, I, I enjoyed racing, but I also really liked the bikes and the, all the equipment that came with that. And that was, you know, an interest when you're not riding. Um, and um, then I had a crash on the motor 
on the motorbike um, uh, race and dislocated my shoulder pretty pretty badly. And while I was off injured from that, I um, started. I had an old mountain bike that I got when I was about nineteen, just a standard, you know, everyday rigid diamondback mountain bike. Um, and I just used to get on that and um, go go pedaling around and jumping about just to to um, in the local woods to to keep fit while I wasn't on the motocross bike. Um, and at the same point then, um, I ended up getting a job at the weekend still for St. Helens Council. So I worked nine to five in the office Monday to Friday. And then um, I got a, a job at the weekends. Um, I've kind of got a bit over going to all the raves and the dance clubs and the beta and stuff. And uh, <laughs> I just, <laughs> you know, it, it kind of takes its toll on you after a while. And um, it was, you know, don't, don't get me wrong. I wouldn't have, I wouldn't, skip that bit for my uh for my life because it was we had some amazing times doing that as well but um i probably missed out on you know the prime ages of of riding and racing d- doing that and working a normal job but you know many other people did the same thing um and you know if i had tried to to race professionally which i never even dreamt of doing when i was younger like yourself you know i, I probably wouldn't have been able to to do that anyway so um, the first time I ended up sort of getting interested in bikes as a job was when I um, started doing uh, that work at the weekend. So I worked for the Outdoor Education Department of St. Helens Council, uh, running the Duke of Edinburgh Award uh, for mountain biking. So basically, I would we would go like to the Lake District and stuff at the weekend, and we'd have to be me and another guy that worked there and we'd, we'd have to like set help the kids set up the camp and teach them how to do that and then uh, how to sort of read maps and go uh, mountain biking in the lakes and like just kind of do a loop and all that stuff was new to me I'd never done camping or walking and stuff like that so that was pretty interesting to learn that stuff and then I bought then because I had my BMX background I could still ride my bike just as good as a could when I left off racing, to be honest. I was lucky in that way because quite a few other guys who got back into riding a similar time as me, they, they seem to have lost their, their skills a little bit, or, you know, I don't know what it was. Um, but I could still ride as good as I could when I was younger, but I was a bit bigger and stronger because, you know, even though I wasn't racing, you know, I'd go to the gym just to keep fit and stuff like that. Um, and um, got back into it that way, really. And I ended up quitting my job in the office because I really hated it. And doing this work at the weekends on the bike, it, it just uh, sort of, it was something I, I knew I was doing uh, that I didn't want to do for the rest of my life. But I didn't really know what I wanted to do. And that was uh, kind of a, the starting point to think, well, I need to get out of what I'm doing. Otherwise, I'm going to end up working in that industry forever. Uh, I ended up quitting work, and I actually went to Camp America, uh, joined up to this thing called Camp America, which is where you go to a, a summer camp for kids in, in different parts of America, and you work there and as called a counsellor. So I ended up going over there to um, Northern California, I ended up in um, a place called Camp Jones Gulch, which is just outside of sort of San Francisco area in the Redwoods. Um, in 1996 and actually just before then funny story 
and because I was into the mountain biking, I used to, you know, really get in the UK and see obviously Jason McCroy doing really good at it. And I watched that dirt magazine, uh, that dirt video that Pete Tompkins did with him and Pete and Warner, and, and that just really got me into it. Then I was like, wow, that is so cool doing that stuff. I, I guess I really missed the BMX scene and riding my bike all the time. So. I wanted a, a bike like Jason McCroy. I had that little hard tail with the short stem and the high-rise bars and the, you know, the you know these flat pedals on there, uh, and that to me was just the, uh, you, you know, the coolest thing I'd seen since um, doing the the BMX as a kid. So I used to look at the magazines and wish I could get one of them bikes, but they're, you know, you know, still now, you know, mountain bikes are expensive. I didn't have the money to to get one of those, uh, but and then we ended up. Uh, in our office syndicate just before I left work, we ended up winning um, about 42 grand on the lottery between 10 of us. Um, so that was me straight. I got about just over four grand straight off to Leisure Lake's uh, bike shop in Preston and bought bought myself a new um, GT Zascar with suspension forks and bullseye cranks and spec'd it out. You know, spent most of my money on that bike. Uh, I think I bought a snowboard, went on a snowboard all day with my friends because uh, we used to go skiing or snowboarding once a year as well and going to, on like your Ibiza summer holidays. And so um, what, once I got that, that mountain bike and it didn't fall apart all the time, uh, I ended up going to um, the BMX track with Copple that's still there now, um, riding there. And I bumped into Darren Reedy and Dave Ives, who I've not seen, you know, since I was a kid. And uh, I got talking to them guys, and I was like, well, you can, you know, you can still ride, good. You do all the jumps and stuff. And we got chatting, and they were explaining to me, you know, that they still race BMX, and you know who all the top guys were, like mentioning yourself and Jamie Staff, Dylan Clayton, and um, you know Reedy was one of the top guys there. I guess Flemo still. And I was like, I was blown away that everybody still did it. Uh, and that, but I was super interested in it again, and um, ended up they taught me into coming to a BMX national. Uh, I mean, I hadn't raced a, a BMX race, let alone a national, for eight years. Uh, but for some reason, I just ended up I ended up going to Alan Woods's, getting a he sold me an old Torque Pro X frame, um, and I, I went down to Liverpool. And there was a guy in Liverpool. Um, he was kind of a recluse, really, but he had tons of bike parts. He was like one of these hoarders of bike parts called, we used to call him Mike the Bike. <laughs> and I told him I bought this Talk Pro X and I needed some parts and sort of give him a list of parts that I needed. And a week later, I went back there and he, he'd come up with some rare aero uh, wheels in red, uh, sorry, rims. I had some old hubs left from the BMX days and some hutch cranks and ended up getting this. Uh, talking together, borrowed an old hot open face helmet off uh, Martin Rogan and ended up going with uh, Ivesy down to Tiverton National, I think it was, in, in 1996. Um, and yeah, I was, people were blown away with my bike, I guess, uh, you know, bikes had moved on and I didn't know. And they were like, where did you get all these parts and that bike from? So I explained, and I remember Winnie Wright being super stoked on my bike, like he was. And he, he was he was loving it, and I guess it was a, you know, it was an old school bike before old school became a, a cool thing again. Um, yeah, I, nobody I, nobody would have probably seen a talker for a couple of years, at least in the UK. I know it was still 
probably going in the US. Yeah. Um, yeah. So it was, yeah, kind of the first of old school, I guess. Yeah, you're right. Yeah, I didn't. I just you know I never thought anything of it. It was just um, everyone's bike bikes were different than mine. You know, mine was white with um, all you know anodized red parts. I'm kind of like the bikes were in the eighties. Um, it was exactly that bike, and um, yeah, people were blown away by it. Anyway, I ended up racing. Um, I think I was in a 19 and over expert or something, and um, ended up winning the national, uh, which was bonkers because I'd never, all the times I raced when I was younger, I never won a national. So um, that was pretty, pretty crazy for that to happen. Um, and then after that, um, as I said, I just, that was a similar time that I, I quit my job and I went over to America to do this Camp America thing. I ended up working on this summer camp for five weeks, which was brutally hard coming from a, a you know, a relatively easy life I had um, to work in, 24/7 with you had 10 kids you had to look after that were about nine to ten year old I mean I'm, I'm I'm an only child so I didn't even have brothers or sisters to to have to deal with when I was little and so that was a really steep learning curve but something I'll never forget and I'm, I'm glad I did didn't, didn't you and come then, down to um I saw you in Phoenix right was that that same trip yeah so uh yeah so what happened that was a crazy time to be honest so I did did five weeks on this summer camp, not riding bikes at all. Just um, you know, you used to take take these kids around to different activities, and then you had to take them to dinner and try and teach them how to get dressed and flipping ready for stuff. And you know, these kids were a mixture from little gangsters to rich kids, and they, you, they were all just in the mix. So there was tons of stuff going on, fighting and flipping. But it was a really rewarding job at, at the end um, of it. And then at the end of that. Um, I, I'd met a guy that sort of lived on the camp. His, his mum and dad worked for the camp, and then he told me that he used to race. He, he told me he races BMX at the local uh, Santa Clara Pal BMX track. And I was like, wow, I used to race BMX as a kid, and I've actually just done my first race again back in the UK. Um, so, what happened was, um, I went away after the camp. I signed up to do a mountain bike camp for older kids. So, we went off to Yosemite National Park. And they just gave us some crappy cheap mountain bikes, but it was the you know I got to ride in Yosemite on these big mountains, and I'd never done that before really, um, and that was that I really enjoyed that that stuff, and as well as doing the normal mountain biking activities because I could like do jumps and wheelies and stuff like that. All the kids wanted to learn that, so I used to teach them all that stuff as well. Excuse me one second, <coughs> and then. Um, when I came back from Yosemite, back to the, the, the camp I was working on, um, I got chatting to this lad again who raced, and it ended up ordering a... Uh, I stayed on there for another couple of weeks doing various jobs for a bit more money because me and two guys on, on my camp, uh, we, we decided to buy an old van and go and travel around uh, California a bit and check it out before we all went home. It was me... A guy called Che from Australia, a lad from London called Chris, and then my friend who was working on a camp in, in New York, he flew over to meet us. And in, in the meantime, um, I ordered a, a, a PK Ripper with the money that I'd earned on the camp and stuff from Dan's Com. And when I got back from um, one of the, the trips I was doing with the camp, um, 
my bike had arrived at, at this lad Danny's house and he'd built it up for me. And I think that same day we went down to Santa Clara and, and uh, for an evening BMX race. Ended up racing, racing there a few times. And then he taught me into going to... I was racing in the intermediate class. They, I, I explained to them that I'd, I'd raced as a kid and I'd done a race, you know, one race since then uh, in the UK. And they're like, oh, you need to go in novice. And I'm like, nah, I don't think I need to go in novice. So they, they put me in intermediate. And then Danny told me about this race that he wanted to go to called the Gold Cup in Las Vegas. And um, we ended up, I remember driving illegally in this 600 quid van to, uh, I have no insurance or anything, drove to uh, Reno to do this qualifier for it. So I went there, and I think I got second there. And then later on that, a few weeks later when we all got together, when we finished working, we all drove down to the Grand Canyon and did the Grand Canyon walk and stuff. And then ended up in Vegas. So while my mates were going off learning how to gamble and stuff, like and play poker and that, I ended up going down to the, the track and that's where I saw you. Um, and I also knew from going to that Santa Clara BMX race, I remember seeing, uh, I got friendly with, um, it was the big lad that used to race against on Robinson. In England? Who, sorry? British guy? No, American guy from the Santa Clara area. Oh, Charles Townsend? Yeah, him. He was a really nice guy. Uh, I used oh, to, you know, I used, yeah, yeah, you were Townsend's friend, weren't you? I remember that, yeah. Yeah, he was really, he was a really nice fellow. He was good to me. And he, he helped me out at the local track. And, you know, he, he, the thing was, um, I could still ride bikes well, uh, but what I'd not, what I did miss out on was the transition from, like, the 80s tracks to the 90s tracks so I could still gate pretty good and I could still rap I had more power than I did when I was younger but I didn't even know what a manual was you know we, we didn't do manuals we just did a speed jump or a jump back in the day didn't we and uh, so it was quite a quick learning curve for me to learn how to you know manual through jumps and you didn't have to jump everything uh, but so you, tra- he, you transitioned pretty good, though. I mean, you I think by the time you raced in Phoenix, you made, like, 19 and over main, right? Yeah, so I, I ended up winning that Gold Cup in Intermediate, and then I went into the expert class. And bearing in mind, I, you know, I didn't know who anyone was in my class. I knew who you were and the pro riders um, and Dylan and stuff, but I didn't know who some of these younger, fast guys were because I'd missed out on that era. You know, I was probably a bit older than a lot of them in that class. But, yeah, I ended up going to Phoenix and racing Cruiser and 20-inch. I actually, on the way there, we went to SE, which was really cool. And um, I was with Chris Whitfield and... I remember uh, that, yeah, yeah, Chris. And uh, Cy Payton. And I ended up going to SE because I was wanting to go to SE. And Perry Kramer worked there, and he sold me a red um, flowable flyer off the shelf. So I basically picked that up, drove to Phoenix, raced that the next day, made the cruiser main in whatever class that was. Um, I remember racing against some guy called, was it Alexis Vergara or something? Alexis Vergara, yeah, he was really good. Yeah, yeah. he was a top amateur yeah. and uh, a good double A as well, yeah. Yeah, so I, you see, I didn't know any of these guys were, but I remember them being so fast out the gate. Um, anyway, I ended up 
get into the final on cruiser and then on 20 inch again i didn't really know who everyone was but i got through to the semi-finals i remember being in like sixth place but i was always pretty decent at cornering and i high load two guys in the last corner and got into fourth and some of the guys from my uh that santa clara track they were blown away that it made the final and i was like i didn't really know who i'd beaten you know it was weird um, but I guess I've beaten some really fast guys to get through to that final. I um, mean, any any national on the West Coast in any class, you know, amateurs, pro, is always uh, always stacked, you know. And I, yeah, I remember you did that nineteen and over, nineteen and over in West Coast uh, Phoenix, which is you know one of the big nationals of the year. So I was yeah. like pretty pretty impressed at how good you did, you know, against some guys. Yeah, I, it's weird because as I say, I had like kind of eight years off. And then came back to it, and I was actually better at it than I was when I when I did it, you know, full time. Yeah, but no, you I, did. You made the transition. A lot of people, you know, during those late eighties, you know, early nineties, that took a lot of time off and came back, couldn't make the transition. But I, I was very, yeah, I can remember. I was very impressed. I you kind of missed a lot of time, but you'd kind of caught right back up to what was going on, you know. So, um, yeah, yeah. Cheers for saying that. But yeah, I uh, I think to be honest, one of the biggest things and. You know, you'll know this, you know, with how successful you've been at racing. I think I just wanted it a lot more than I did when I was younger. When I did it when I was younger, I just was doing it because it was fun and I loved doing it. I wasn't that bothered about how good I did, I guess. Um, whereas when I got older, because I'd worked that job that I absolutely hated, um, I think I just wanted wanted to do something else. So what's that... Um, I don't know, just the desire was there. I guess, you know, I was stronger than I was when I was younger. Yeah, so. no, I can totally remember when we started racing um, four cross, which was probably into the early 2000s then. Bring us into the mountain yeah. bike stuff, like, because, yeah, I think I think I came to I came to the bike show in uh, wherever it was, Birmingham or somewhere, and, and there was a four cross race, and you was riding there, and you was good. Um, yeah, so bring us into the, how you got a bit more into the mountain bike, and then you were racing BMX again in England, weren't you, right? Yeah, so basically what happened then, so when I when I finished that trip in, in America, I came back to the UK uh, and I, I bought that GT Zaskar that I told you about with that national lot, lottery winning money. But at that point, I, just before I went to America, I'd been to a downhill national. Um, I didn't, re- again, I didn't really know enough about it, but I turned up on my Zaskar and everyone was on suspension bikes. And, you know, that's when I first was you know, seeing how good Steve Pete was doing, who's a good friend of mine now and yours, and, uh, you know, re- reading all about his success in the magazines and stuff. And I went to a national uh, on the Zaskar, and I just I, I just remember doing my race run. Uh, it was in the senior class. I think you and Dylan had done a few. And I ended up getting top 20, but my feet just kept blowing off the pedals all the time because, you know, I've always rode flat pedals, and obviously on a rigid bike when everyone else is on suspension bikes, I, I was struggling a little bit. Um, so when I, when I was just before I came back from that American trip, I bought a GT suspension frame um, because they were a lot cheaper in America. You know, the money was kind of half price back then, wasn't it? And they were even, you know, they were cheaper than they were in the UK. So I bought a GT frame because I knew all the parts would swap over from my Zaskar. So when I got home, I ended up going to a, a downhill race. It must have been one of the last races of 1996 because um, it was right at the end of summer. 
was called the NAMS Northern Area Mountain Bike Series that Chris Whitfield's dad used to run. And I ended up going there on this bike uh, with with a lad called Pete Taylor that uh, used to run Leisure Lakes Mountain Bike Team. And I was like so keen to, to do this downhill race. Uh, I remember Chris Whitfield's dad saying to me, you know, I've not seen you before. You know, where, where have you come from? And I'm like, so I'm just starting out in mountain biking. He said, how do you think you're going to get on tomorrow? And I was like, at that point, I was like, you know what? I think, I think I'm going to do all right. Because um, I'd done the motocross for a couple of years. And then I had the bike skills. So I think that was a good combo to, to help with, with downhill. The only thing I, I didn't really have was a lot of, you know, stamina. As in, you know, I'd never raced cross country or anything. But um, I, I think I had the... I wasn't scared of the speed because of the motocross and I also had good bike handling skills. So I ended up winning that race and coming second overall, you know, with the elite riders as well. And then that winter, um, I ended up bumping into all these Scouse lads in Wales. Um, they were famous for a track they built. It was called the, the Scouse Track at Nanak in North Wales. And me and my friends used to go there pretty much every Sunday. And I was getting sort of better and better on my downhill bike. And then I decided to give the downhill racing a go in 1997. Um, and I went to the first national um, in the senior category and ended up winning it. And um, I think I might have got like a top 20 elite time. Um, and the race was just amazing. The weather was super cool. Um, the, the the track was amazing in Elethan, which is still an amazing place to ride down on now. Um, and I was I was just blown away by how good it was. You know, there was these big factory teams like Animal Orange and Steve Pete on his GT and Rob Warner with the giant crew. And you know, it just it was just it was just amazing. It was like this new passion that I had, and I was like, this is what I need to be doing. And um, then I got sponsored a, uh, a little bit uh, after a couple of races that year by a shop called Ride On, um, and just kind of went from there. So that was '97. Then '98, uh, you know, you had to do a year to qualify to race pro or pro elite or whatever you want to call it. So I think I finished third overall that year. I broke my shoulder blade mid-season, and then um, I moved up to the elite category and rode for a a team called Club Roof Rottweiled, um, which is basically they just gave me some bikes and I think I had like two grand in expenses and some some bonuses for magazines like you know we had back then. Excuse me. <coughs> That's when you used then, to start being in uh, you know Dirt magazine. That's where I'm a senior. Um, yeah, quite so, a bit of coverage, you know. Yeah. So. Um, that's yeah, exactly. That's the kind of time that Dirt Magazine started with Jerry Dyer, and um, just the scene and Sprung Magazine and stuff. And so the first year I raced pro um, in the UK, I ended up getting number two in the in the season in the series behind Steve Pete, which was kind of massive news, you know, for mountain biking then because you know I was racing against all these super fast guys that were already been doing it for a while. You know, it's obviously Steve. Rob Warner, Will Longdon, Tim Ponting, Matt Farmer, um, James Alloway, endless names that were really good at downhill. Um, and I ended up getting straight in there in the mix pretty pretty quickly. And then I used to watch, um, you know, Steve and Robert and Will 
and Tim on Eurosport, the downhill, doing the Grundigs, it was back then. And basically, that's all I wanted to do. I just wanted to go and race a World Cup. So in 98, I remember the first, after that first national, I got second. Um, I, I know I blew the team budget because I was in like every magazine going, like loads of pictures of me. I was on the telly and stuff, um, which was bonkers, really. But it was just a big thing in the UK back then. And uh, ended up going to the first World Cup in Nevergal. And, um, you know, just being there and, and sort of hanging out because I knew Steve Pete pretty well. I was like hanging out with Sean Palmer and him and Basta Beaver and these guys that I'd only seen on the telly and in the magazines. Uh, it was just so weird that like two years ago I was working in an office reading the magazines and then all of a sudden I was racing against these dudes. Anyway, um, ended up everyone was telling me, you know, oh, don't worry, it's a World Cup. You'll not, you'll never qualify. It takes years to learn how to do this stuff. And I was like, yeah, no worries, whatever. Just anyway, I went up to qualifying with um, um, uh, Tom Edwards, who me and him were sort of listed together on the start line. And I, I remember Tom, I must have had a nightmare of a run. I passed him halfway down in qualifying. And so when I got to the bottom, I thought, well, I must have had an okay run. Um, and then one of, uh, I think it was Steve Gill, my, my bike sort of cracked, broke as I landed into the finish arena. So I went off to fix my bike. Um, with my teammate Aidan Bishop at the time because we didn't have many spurs and that we'd just kind of gone in, 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 in Rich Warner's old van we didn't really have much much stuff and then um, they were like oh you haven't qualified um, don't worry I was like oh well bummer but whatever um, but they hadn't looked on the first sheet of the, the results because they'd normally you know skip past the first sheet and look to where they'd come because it was only like Steve and Rob and that they were doing doing that well at World Cups anyway. I qualified 17th. So they were like, you need to get up to the top, you've qualified. And so I like rushed, got my bike fixed, went up to the top like an hour early in the pissing rain, freezing, no coat. I think I was like in the middle of Tomac and somebody else. And I was just like sat there thinking, what's going on here? It was like so weird. Um, anyway, I ended up having a massive crash in the final, thinking I could win the thing. Um, but then, yeah, I did, I did okay um, straight away at it. And then, obviously, that leads on to, you know, with my BMX background, just because I was so keen. I, I used to race downhill, dual, and then four cross came along. Whatever that was going, I just, I just used to race it. I didn't really focus on one thing. I just liked riding and racing, and then I kind of had to go at all of it, really. Yeah. bring us, And then you started... Um... So, like I say, you were doing four... When did you come out to the States then again with Petey and everybody? That had been, like, late 90s then, right? Yeah, so after that first um, year in Elite where I ended up getting second behind Steve in the series, uh, I got quite a few offers off different sponsors um, to ride for them. No, no big money deals, but, you know, a bit of money. So, um, you know, I, I had a deal lined up to ride for MBUK, at the time, uh, Pete Tompkins ran that uh, program and Will Longham was a top rider. So I had an offer to ride for them, I think for like the GT UK team. Um, anyway, I ended up riding for a team um, called Intense Kawasaki. So that was like the Intense importer uh, and, and a guy sort of put a team together, a guy from Liverpool. 
and they put this team together where they had a sponsor off uh, Kawasaki <clears throat> and got to uh, ride for that. I decided to ride for that team. It was supposed to be about like 10 grand uh, salary plus some expenses to do all the European World Cups and some photo bonus and race bonuses. So uh, I was super happy on that team. Obviously, I was, at that time, I was good friends with Jerry Dyer, who ran Dirt Magazine, and he had a team, and then he wanted me to ride for their team the year after. Um, but um, So I used to get a lot of coverage in the magazines as well, because I did well in the UK, and then I was doing okay at World Cups for you know that time. For a UK rider, there was kind of only Steve and uh, Rob that were doing you know better than I obviously Steve was doing a lot better but um, I, I was kind of getting close to I was getting into the top 30 and close to the top 20 pretty quickly and then that winter uh, so then that year when I was racing with Intense I got the opportunity to go to uh, California to race the Big Bear and Tahoe World Cups and then I got to meet the Intense factory team which Jeff Steber uh, owns the company and I got friendly with them so then that winter, I ended up coming out to stay at Steve Pete's house, which was next door to you guys. And uh, Intense lent me a bike, and um, yeah, I got to come out there for two months, and that was definitely some of the best times of my life. It was such such a good crap, and you know, with all you guys, then it was it was it was always fun because uh, you know you came out in bikers, would all 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 became a lot of our good friends. Would come and go. Yeah. You know, I mean, Steve's. I mean, my house was the same. There was always, you know, our apartment. You guys had the apartment next door. There were always people coming and going from England. So he's constantly at LAX picking up riders yeah. and dropping them off. But remember, the joke was because you guys all came. You guys all had nobody really had eyewear sponsors in BMX. You know, a couple, <laughs> a couple of guys had Oakley and stuff. Um, but you guys, especially the English guys, always had. Oh, um, uh, I wear sponsors and yeah, it was you, always a joke you, you guys would always have your sunglasses on in the house or your new Oakleys or <laughs> Spy whatever you guys were all on Spy weren't you <laughs> I, I was a bit later uh, <laughs> right. but I remember I remember that funny because when we first came I don't think I was as bad as, as some of them right but, uh, uh, I remember um Remember Mark Davies? That yes, so I think Neil years. really. Yeah, Neil was always like, "This guy's always got his sunglasses on his hat or in his <laughs> his coeys." You know, that was always a joke, wasn't it? Yeah, I mean, there's still guys like that now, and I think Boom Boom still wears it <laughs> on a Wednesday night. But yeah, I mean, um, that's that's the way it kind of worked, wasn't it? You know, every, and and still now, you know, people people I were sponsors. I mean, Steve Peake got paid a fortune to to ride for Smith. Um, I remember him telling me how much he got paid back in 99 and it was like more than a normal person's salary just to wear sunglasses and goggles yeah um, and um yeah but it was funny the mountain bikers definitely had a different um sort of and you guys uh, would always put your full you know if you guys are going to go do some downhill runs or something you guys would always put your full race uniform on you know like wednesday morning or something and everybody would be sitting <laughs> around in their shorts you know whatever they were Troy Lee shorts or um, yeah. It was just always funny, and especially living with Neil, you know, Neil was very uh, core at the time, <laughs> and he was yeah. always just like, these guys have all got their race gears on, it's 11 o'clock <laughs> on Wednesday morning, you know? <laughs> yeah, but Woody had his race gear on at 2 o'clock in the morning on a Saturday <laughs> night. <laughs> but yeah, no, it was it was funny, and I guess I, I was influenced by both sides of it, you know. Um, obviously, it was really weird for me, because 
you know, as I say, I hadn't rode or raced for, for so long and then I'd come into it and then the next minute I'm hanging out with you guys every day. So I'm hanging out with some of the best BMXs in the world and the best mountain bikes in the world. And to me, that was really surreal. Like, you know, I, I just I couldn't grasp what was going on and I didn't understand, you know, what was happening, to be honest. And looking back on it now, I never focused enough on on one thing. I was just that buzzing to ride my bike, whether it was going to Sheep Hills with you guys or doing gates in, like doing gates in the street in Georgia Street. You know, uh, I bought a I bought a BMX off Neil, I think, didn't I? Of DK, uh, and you know, I enjoyed doing that just as much as I did going doing downhill runs with fucking Petey and Kurt Morris and that. Um, and I never really did focus on um, one particular thing, but. To be honest, I, I'm I'm not bothered. I don't think I'd ever don't think I ever quite had the talent to to be a you or a Steve Pete in 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 any discipline. You know, um, I just really was grateful for how good I, I did do and 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 the times that I got to do that. In, you know, later on, you know, in my in my late twenties and early thirties, it was uh, I did a lot better than I guess I, I should have done and. Um, it was the best times of my life, to be honest. Yeah, absolutely. And then you went back and did some BMX again, and you uh, you won a couple. You and Flem battled for a couple of cruiser titles, right? And then Worlds, you got podium, right? In like mid two thousands. So no, well, yeah. So um, we we won with BMX with me. Um, I always, you know, followed it a bit behind the scenes, and I've always really, you know, loved that sport. But uh, mountain biking was just that much bigger to me than, than BMX ever was. Um, and obviously, it was a way for me to earn a living as well. Um, you know, mountain biking is like, it's so big, especially now. And, and it was, you know, when, when we were racing, you know, when, when it was on Eurosport and, was spot and the World Cups, you know, you, you've been to some before, across just the atmosphere and, and how big, how big the scene was it it was just huge and and the diversity of mountain biking you know you're riding on such different terrain all the time and different every track's different and everywhere you go in the world it's different where bmx no matter where you go in the world bmx tracks quite similar isn't it so um yeah i i, I just really enjoyed that but i always really loved doing bmx when i did it and it's, it's funny that I, it seems to be like a seven or eight year cycle with me with BMX. So I did a little bit of it in 97. I mean, I didn't really do much of it other than go to the odd race and the odd track every now and again through those years, but not much. And then at the end of two, in 2002, I started, it started coming together for me in, in the World Cup downhill. Um, I don't know, I just sort of started to click like I'd had a top 15 and and then I got I got a tenth at Fort William <clears throat> opening round in two thousand and two, and all of a sudden then I, I really believed that I could you know get in the top ten regularly and get on a podium. Where for a few years I thought that wasn't achievable. It just kind of clicked. You know I, I rode for the intense factory team at the time. I didn't really get paid, but I got good photo bonus, um, race bonus, and I had a really good bike. And I started to understand like how important tyres were and your bike geometry and how your suspension was set up and uh, I really started to figure that stuff out and I had really good teammates teammates like Chris Gavarik and Michael Ronning that were you know winning World Cups. 
So that really <clears throat> got me going faster downhill. And then a couple of weeks after that, I, I went over to the, to Wisconsin for a, for a, a Norba race because Norba was still huge back then, and especially riding for an American factory team, uh, it was important to do Norbas. Uh, so we got the opportunity to go over there, and we were racing mountain cross at the time, which was basically a bigger version of four cross, you know, with bigger gnarlier jumps and stuff. And uh, <clears throat> I was riding really well. I think I qualified fourth or fifth at that race. There was a massive set of doubles out of the first turn. And um, the, the qualifying was the day before, and then the race was going to be the following day. And I uh, ended up hitting those doubles first, first practice run, and, and I got blown by the wind and um, uh, ended up casing the jump and going over the bars uh, whilst leading like out of four people. And... Uh, I'd done quite well, I think the last race the year before in the Norbert in, in the mountain cross, I made the final, um, I think it was me, Lopes, Wade Boots and Gracia in the final um, in, in one of those races, so I was doing quite well at that as well as the downhill, bearing in mind I was one of the only people on flat pedals, so I wasn't making it easy for myself, um, but <clears throat> uh, anyway, that, that ended up being like a career and and an injury really for me. I opened, dislocated my ankle and um, really bad and nearly lost my foot and uh, that that put me out of action for like nine months and then I did start to try and come back to racing and uh, the year after in 2003 I did a few races and then what happened was in 2003 my, my dad died um, and my dad was the only person really in, in my life that was you know, that I used to talk about, about racing, and, and my dad wasn't super well at that point, um, he didn't have great, he had a few heart problems, and didn't really travel uh, a lot, and got out of breath quite a lot, uh, quite quickly, but he was always super interested, you know, all the time I stayed at your house, I used to ring my dad every day, and tell him what I was up to, and what I was doing, and you know, um, I ended up, that time I got bronze medal at the X Games, like my dad was over the moon with that, um, he just was really supportive on what I was doing, and um, as he always was, and then when my dad died in 2003, um, I just kind of lost all my drive for racing, it was like, it was it just kind of come to me that I was, why was I doing it, and why was I taking these risks after that, that big crash with my ankle, like, who really cared, do you, know, do you know what I mean? It was really weird. I, I, I just thought, nobody cares if I do well or come last now that my dad's not around. So I kind of lost interest with it a little bit, and I had a few things that I was trying to do some, like you knew when I stayed at your house, I was always busy trying to come up with ideas to, to, you know, to make some extra money and work in the industry, you know, with intents and... Very yeah, I'll give, you know, I'll give you a lot of credit. You know, you used to get up early, you know, would get up early in the morning, you know, I, I was still racing, so we'd go get some coffee, and I'd go off training and stuff, but you would, like, be hammering, you'd be driving over to Troy Lee, or you'd be going down to Orange County to meet somebody, or you was down at Intense, you know, talking to Jeff, like, you was yeah. always trying to come up, and then we'd come back and we'd talk about stuff, I remember, at night, but you was always looking, yeah, like, working, a, you know, to the future and stuff to, to get your feet in the, yeah, the mountain bike industry doing stuff, so definitely a lot of credit for what you was doing then, you know. Yeah, cheers. And, and as I say, even even as a kid, as as much as I've enjoyed racing, 
I've always enjoyed the other side of biking, which is bike development and the bikes, and I just I just love all that stuff. So yeah, I was always trying to do things, and you know that was my goal to try and have a job doing that kind of thing after racing, because you know at, at that point you know I was like early thirties, I hadn't made it like Steve Pete or you know one of them guys, so I was never going to earn the kind of money. That, that you guys had earned doing the sport, being successful. So I always was in the back of my mind a bit worried about what I was going to do after racing because I did, you know, the last thing I wanted to do was go back working in the finance office. So I was always trying different things. And and then uh, I had one um, thing set up with doing some importing into the UK. And I won't get into that because it still pisses me off now, but I got kind of stitched up with that with somebody and um, that put a real bad taste in my mouth, and I just got pissed off with everything, uh, with racing, and get, I had two other big injuries after that foot one, and, um, and at that point, I just thought, you know what, I've fucking had enough of this, um, and that was a tough time for me, because uh, I kind of was a bit unsure on what I was going to do, so to, to, to get by at the time, I was I was um, you know doing quite a lot of mountain bike teaching. I used to teach that privately and go out to the Alps and do uh, te- coaching for various companies. Um, I used to go out and work with Tony Seagrave and his family. They were really good to me. They used to put me up and I'd, I'd take their clients out riding in Morsey and stuff. And, and another company called Alp, do I, uh, Alp Active, who I first started doing that with back out in Morsey. Um, so I was doing that stuff and then I ended up, remember, importing black market bikes a little bit and I was sort of helping out with intents on designing bikes and stuff. So I was still really in, involved in it all and I was earning just enough money to get by really, and, you know, paying my mortgage. I bought a small house in the UK, um, but I really did want to live in California with where you guys live because to me, you guys were all living the dream and I loved it out there. Uh, I think I was probably there at the best time because what I liked about that place was obviously the weather was good, uh, but there was always somebody to go riding with whatever time. And to me, I didn't care, like I said earlier, what, what riding I was doing, whether it was BMXing, going the dirt jumps, going downhilling, not bothered, going boat biking. I don't really care, and I'm still like that now. I just like riding bikes and I'll do any type of riding. Um, but yeah, so I, I had enough of, of the mountain biking and I, I was off with a blown out back injury that I sustained at one of them four cross races. I had a herniated disc and it come back to bite me big time. I couldn't even walk or fucking get up for about three weeks. And then as I was recovering from that, I ended up going to watch the World Championships in uh, in Holland. Uh, was that in 2004? 2004, yeah. So I ended up going there and um, uh, with Dave Ives and Paul Tracy, obviously I, I knew a lot of the, the guys that were racing, and I went to watch that, and, mate, I absolutely blew my mind that race. I was like, I've got to have a go at doing this again. It was so cool. Uh, I don't know what it was about it. It just really got me fired up to do some BMX. That, well, that was, uh, a, that was a good world. Any... any... Big event, European or Worlds in uh, Holland was always good, good atmosphere. And yeah, that one especially yeah. was, uh, yeah, you can see why it kind of got you to bite back into it, you know? Yeah, it was, it was, it was bonkers, really, um, how, how good that was. 
because um, obviously, you know, I'd been to a lot of massive big mountain bike events that were super cool. Um, but yeah, that really got me fired up and into it. And so then as my back was getting a bit better, um, <clears throat> I found that BMXing wasn't as bad on my back. I think it's because you're pedaling more, whereas in downhill, you know, you, you ride basically the full run with, with one foot forward and one foot back. And that was, I think that was putting more pressure on the side that was injured on my, uh, in my back. And I found that BMXing didn't, didn't do that and it seemed to help. So I decided to uh, uh, get a, uh, a, another BMX and a cruiser, obviously, because that's what my <laughs> name is. And I got, I ended up getting some, uh, Neil Wood, who worked at S&M at the time, got me, you know, the, the super cheap deal on a bought a, an S&M race frame and forks and handlebars and stuff and built the rest up with profile parts. Um, and yeah, I, I raced a whole, from doing pretty much nothing, I did a whole season in 2005. Um, so I raced 20-inch in Cruiser, raced 19, 19 and over expert on 20-inch, which I, I won the UK series. And uh, me and Flemo battled all year on the Cruiser. And we went to the European Championships and the World Championships in Bursley, which was so good. Um, I ended up getting third in the European Championships. Um, I remember I was going really good there and I just uh, <clears throat> got, I, said, I was leading my semi down the first straight, slipped the pedal and went back to last. And then luckily that track had some downhill sections. So I was able to, I was always better at downhill BMX tracks than flat ones. I remember. Uh, pulling some pretty good moves off there, getting into the final, ended up, uh, but then got cut off in the final. Because at, at that point, most people were clipped in, well, even in my sort of age groups, not pro, and I was stuck to flat pedals. But uh, ended up getting third at that European Championships, and um, um, uh, in in the worlds in Bercy, which I remember talking to you a lot, and you were. You kept coming through, which was really motivational for us guys, you know, saying like who of us were doing well and what we were doing wrong and what we should keep doing. And that was really motivational for me. And I remember getting through to the semi-finals on the cruise and so wanted to make the final. And I was, uh, I was in third in the first turn. And then I ended up going all the way around that big outside first turn and going back to fifth because I was just stuck there. And then I, I, I did another good move on the next turn, got back into fourth, and then typically Alan Hill passed me about half a bike length before <laughs> the finish line, and, and, and I didn't make the final, so I was, uh, I was gutted with that, and then I didn't, and then the next year, 2006, I ended up, you know, everyone was like, well, you, you've won the, you've won the 20-inch class in 19 plus, but I wasn't really doing it to be a professional BMX, I just did it because I wanted to do a year of BMX racing. But then everyone was like, "Oh, you've got to race pro now." So I was like, "Oh, whatever." So I kind of signed up to race pro in the UK. I'd never done pro BMX in my life, and um, ended up doing I think the first national in pro and pro cruiser or whatever it was, uh, which I didn't make the final. Um, but I was doing okay, but didn't 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 do uh, too good. But that was at the the period where remember I had I was spending a lot of time in California so I was going back and forward to California you know I, I had a girlfriend from California at the time who got really sick and that 
took a big toll on me going backwards and forwards with for her and you know and then at that same point I realized my mum had got started getting Alzheimer's and so I had to make the decision you know I really did want to live in California at the time um, and but I ended up just making that decision to move back to the UK and I had to be there for my mum and stuff. And then so you whereabouts did you win the Masters then because you during all this period didn't you like win the uh Masters Worlds? Was that like mid-2000s? Yeah. yeah, so then when I, uh, so that was like, two, yeah, so in 2007 when I was back in the UK mainly, I was still coming backwards and forwards to California a little bit, you know, and big props to you. Every time I came over there, you used to let me stay at your house and, um, you know, even lend me your truck and, you, you know, you, you were, you, I'll never forget how good you were to me. So, um, oh, we had Perth, a good time, like, didn't we? Me and Perth. Yeah, yeah we, it was amazing times, mate. Um, diff, different to the HB times, but um, equally fond memories. You know, we had we had such a good good crack, and you were still, you know, BMXing and training, and I and, and then that was the times where I used to take you up to Big Bear and introduce you in a bit of down down the as, as well. <laughs> When you were not as uh, not quite as serious on your BMXing, right, you only, right. Uh, you know, you only went to the gym four times that day. <laughs> but uh, but no, it was it was good, and 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 uh, I really really loved it out there. I'll be honest. Um, um, I had great times with you. And, and well, it was and... it was good for me because, like, say, I was already in my mid thirties, but somehow still managed to, you know, to race and be in, a, you know, a pretty good level. But at the same time, a lot of yeah. my friends and people I grew up with had all moved on and retired, or you know, got married and stuff. So I was still kind of, you know, like I, I was like needed you guys to come out to hang out with. You know, it was like hard for me to uh, find people to ride and hang out with. You know, so it's perfect that you came out. No, it, it, it was really good, and it. You know, it suited me well, and you you were you know uh, you were super uh, easy to to stay with because you know you were busy, um, I was busy, and um, you know we didn't sort of rely on each other to to, to do right. do things for each other, which I think can can be a bit of a chore when people you know come out and they think they're on holiday and they're just sort of chilling in your house and that. I've yeah, seen that you were definitely well. always busy doing stuff. Yeah, but you know, and, and I really appreciate what you did for me back then, and um, I really enjoyed myself. Um, but anyway, I sorry. So then, when I was sort of moved back to the UK, I, I started riding mountain bikes a little bit more again, and I was still sort of working with Intense, although not really getting paid by them. But I was, you know, they were still giving me bikes, and I was helping with designs on bikes, which I really enjoyed doing. Um, and yeah, I ended up going racing the Masters World in Pralu with a few other English uh, and in Europe guys uh, in Europe and stuff. And yeah, ended up winning winning that race on the on the downhill. And then that so that was two thousand and seven. And at that point, um, I'd already been in talks with Intense about the possibility of me running. Uh, a race team because that's what I, I figured that I wouldn't mind having a go at. Obviously, I'd had a lot of experience in having to deal with my own travel and stuff because I was never, you know, on a fully paid factory ride. Um, uh, I knew a lot about bikes. I knew a lot of the riders. I knew, you know, I had good sponsors that had stayed, 
you know, giving me product, even though I wasn't, you know, racing at that level anymore. And so I decided I wanted to run a race team. And um, Intense, at that point, they didn't have their factory team anymore. They kind of outsourced to a UK team, uh, sorry, a European team, which is now MS Monraker, massive, huge, successful race team. Well, back, at, back then, they ran the Intense program. Uh, it was MS Intense, I think it was called. Um, so the only way I was able to run an intense race team was for me to get an outside sponsor because intense didn't have the money to do to do that. Um, and so uh, my good friend Dave Ives, who you know got me back into the going racing BMX, uh, was really good friends with him, and he always worked in the cycling industry. And he suggested to me that I speak to Chain Reaction Cycles because they were doing really well and they were and I, I was noticing that they were sponsoring race series in the UK and being successful and I ended up uh, talking to Michael Cowan on email and then met him at the uh, Masters Worlds because he's always raced uh, downhill as well and um, he, he's one of the big bosses at Chain Action Cycle so when I was at Praloop at that downhill world I got chatting to him and, and he said you know cut what you know that leave it a month or so when, when we get back from this race and then uh, come over and speak to us. So I was good friends with Kathy Sessler, who, big props to her, she looked after me for, for nine weeks and her husband Chuck when, when I had that foot injury. Uh, so I was really friends with, good friends with her and she was running the Santa Cruz uh, syndicate team, which is, you know, everyone knows their success. And she just gave me some basic pointers on budget and, things I needed to do. So I basically wrote all this down on an A4 piece of paper, flew over to Ireland, ended up in a meeting with Chris Watson, the owner of Chain Reaction Cycles, and, and my boss, Michael Cowan, and just said, look, <clears throat> I'd like to run a downhill race program for you. Uh, I'm going to bring Chris Kavarik in as my main rider. I'm going to get two or three other riders. We're going to ride intense bicycles, Manitou suspension, blah, blah, blah. I'll run the team. Uh, what do you think of this idea? And they were like, yeah, let's go. And I was like, wow, okay. And then um, that was it, mate. That was in 2007 when I had that meeting and we were starting racing in 2008. At this point, my, I'd moved back to the UK. My mum had full-blown Alzheimer's. I lived in a small uh, you know, semi-detached bungalow and I'd had to move my mum into my house who was waking up in the middle of the night, cutting all my paperwork up, throwing it in the bin, walking off down the road, screaming at me. Um, it was pretty stressful times. But um, I've, and now I've been running that race team for 12 years. Yeah, so anyway, I put the, you know, originally put the team together and it was a really good team. We had Chris Kavarik as the main rider who was, a, you know, a big name at the time. He'd had some great results um, a few years previous to that. You know, when I was on the team with, with Chris and Intense Factory team in 2002, you know, Chris had started uh, winning World Cups. And, you know, he, to me, still to this day, he's been one of the most naturally talented downhill guys has ever been. Um, just maybe wasn't as focused as some of the, the all-time great, um, you know, to have the consistency that um, some of the some of the other riders have had. 
But anyway, we had we had Chris Kavarik, um, Julian Camellini, a French rider who was really good. He'd just come off a, a podium uh, position at the final World Cup the year previous, um, riding for Orange. Uh, so he signed for us. Um, we had Rory Cunningham, who just uh, previously won the, the Junior World Championships in um, Fort William in 2007. And then a really you know good up-and-coming rider, Matt Simmons, um, who'd, who'd had some great results. So we had a super strong team right off the, off the get-go. Um, obviously, the, the, the help and support that we had from Chain Action Cycles was amazing. Um, as well as you know all the sponsors, a lot of the sponsors were kind of sponsors that I had, had brought through from you know riding for them myself, um, who, who, that I you know created really good relationships with. Um, so our team was good. Obviously, it was a brand new, brand new you know venture for me. It was it was really stressful um, in them in them early months and and year you know first year running the team, just trying to. You know, realize what you needed to put together for running a World Cup race team. You know, get you know from getting a van to getting the riders to getting mechanics, assigning contracts out, organizing all the sponsors, getting the kit designed and made. You know, there's tons, as you know, that goes into a, a team. And then um, I had a really good, you know, uh, mechanic uh, in Dave Garland who, who worked for years on the circuit. He'd done a lot of mechanicing for me here and there. Um, so we had a solid team, um, and then my one of my good friends from home, Mark Cordell, he, he took a six-month uh, career break from um, working for British Aerospace and came and worked for us on the team as well. Um, so we had a, we had a big team um, as well as um, you know a, a quite a high-profile team for for starting out, um, and the first race in two thousand and eight. We got ourselves there was was Maribor, and actually that event ended up being one of the most successful weekends uh, we ever had as a as a downhill team. Um, uh, Julian came second to Sam Hill when Sam was you know at his peak. Uh, Julian actually qualified first in the in the semi-finals and, and backed it up with a second place finish. I think Chris was sixth or seventh in the finals, and then Rory and Matt were in the twenties and thirties. Um, which is, you know, still still good results. So we started off really strong, um, and then um, we had some we had some really good results that year. Julian was always kind of in the top ten. Um, I think Chris got a fifth place in in uh, Canberra in Australia that year, um, and we we were up there doing doing well. Um, uh, Rory and Matt were both. You know, up and coming riders that were getting some good results here and there, and then that team kind of uh, stayed the same for about um, three years. You know, in, in that period, we had a few injuries and a few problems, like every other team does, and we had some good results and some not as good results. But we still had a you know good high profile team, and we we became one of the you know, one of the main teams on the circuit, really. Um, and then sort of in that time, you know, we were working closely with, with Jeff Steber and Intense. We were kind of not the main Intense factory team, but we were a, a high-profile Intense team. Um, you know, we got all the sort of prototype bikes um, that, that Intense were producing, and we gave a lot of feedback on, on you know, um, 
improving the the downhill bikes. Um, obviously, there's a lot more goes into a mountain bike race team, I think, than a BMX race team. It's not, you know, just about the rider and, and the and the bike. Um, you know, you're always trying to improve the the bike and the suspension and the performance on on the uh, mountain bike for downhill because you know the the times are so close and all the riding is pretty good. Um, so you're constantly working on suspension curves and performance out of the bike and you know one rider will like this they want a lower bottom bracket and then you can go too low on that and you start clipping pedals but the bike handles better in the corners and stuff was getting changed quite a lot so that was a big part of of the team and then in the in the in the background you know working for chain reaction cycles and they also owned um uh, Nuke Proof, which was an old American brand that they they bought when when that kind of went bust or or you know went stopped ceasing to exist, um, and they were just making really good quality but well priced components. So you know handlebars, pedals, saddles, grips, all that kind of stuff, and that was selling really well for Chain Reaction Cycles as as one of you know their own brand. So they were selling that through the business as well as selling that to, to dealers and shops. So kind of three years into the team, I started to sort of think, well, you know, we've got a lot of experience on our team between myself, the riders, the mechanics, and that brand was doing well. So I kind of spoke to my boss and said, you know, why don't we make our own bikes that we can develop on the team and, and sort of create a bike brand as well? So the team was... You know, because the team costs a lot of money, um, and you were kind of getting two, two things for the for the for the investment by having a race team as well as creating a, and building a brand that you could use the race team to to uh, promote. Because you know, all, all bike brands are good, but the successful ones are brands that have good products at the right price, but with with the right marketing. And so. That's where New Proof came in, and um, myself and Brad Richards and um, sort of worked on the first design for the first downhill bike. Uh, that was in 2011. At that point, uh, we decided to change the team up a bit, and we got some uh, fresh new riders in. We we sponsored um, Joe Smith, uh, who's still a really good friend of mine from the from the UK, who was doing really good. Um, in the national UK series, which was still big at that time, uh, as well as getting some really good um, results on the World Cup. He was riding for Kona Bikes, but not really a factory program, kind of a uh, riding for Kona, but him and his dad were sort of running that program. Um, so he, he signed on for us. You know, obviously every year I get quite a lot of, uh, you know, emails off riders um, asking to ride ride for our team because uh, it was quite a, an established team at that point. Um, and then we uh, we sponsored um, Lewis Buchanan, who was, you know, a, a junior uh, up-and-coming Scottish rider who was, who was had some really crazy speed and he'd had a podium at the Junior World Championships. Uh, we then sponsored um, Matty Lykinen, who, who had some great success in the past and was quite a big name. Um, he, he had quite a lot of injuries, but he was, you know, coming back from injury. Um, and we kept on Matt Simmons, 
um, who was you know with the team for quite a long time. So at that point, um, it was as much as um, running a, a World Cup race program as well as trying to develop a bike brand as well. Um, so that was that was some interesting years. You know, our bike luckily worked really well straight off the bat. Um, I remember riding riding that at a French um, national race, the first prototype, and um, I was pretty amazed at um, how how good it rode because obviously we'd had brilliant bikes with intense. So at first I was a little worried that you know the bikes wouldn't be as good. Anyway, um, we had some good success in the first few years with with Newproof. Um, uh, you know, Matty got um, a top ten World Cup finish on on the, the first generation um, downhill bike, um, only a couple of years into the program. Um, but then unfortunately had a horrific um, injury that set him back because he'd had some bad injuries and then he was getting back up into the top 10 of the World Cup. And, you know, that, that we were going in the direction we wanted to be in with the team as well as with the growing the bike brand and, and creating a, you know, a good... Uh, affordable bike brand but that could get the results um, at the World Cup level which was always my sort of goal for the brand um, so we had some great success with the team and then we got to a point uh, where you know we were right there but not getting podium positions and the team was costing you know quite a lot of money as every World Cup downhill team does uh, we didn't have the budget that some of the, the bigger teams had for sure, but we, you know, it was still costing a, a good amount of money. And um, we, you know, I had a chat with my boss again, and, and I was comfortable at this point because we had a new uh, second generation downhill bike as well as, you know, some good enduro stroke trail bikes, whatever you want to call them. Um, I f- felt that our bike was, you know, worthy of, you know, getting World Cup potent, uh, podiums with the, with the right rider on. So at that point, my boss sort of gave me the go-ahead to start talking to some sort of bigger name riders. Um, and, um, you know, bearing in mind, you know, with Joe, Joe Smith, who won the National Downhill Series uh, for the team, um, you know, he got national number one when, you know, all the top riders were in the UK were doing it. It was no easy feat to do, to, to do that. Uh, Joe's super talented and you know really fast in the UK. Had some great World Cup results. You know we had a, a couple of top tens on our team in World Cup results, but just didn't quite have that consistency at World Cup level, um, which I, I really think you know a big factor with Joe was just his confidence at that at that top level. He, he had all the ability in his riding, uh, but it takes more than that to to be a World Cup podium rider. Um, and so um, at first, we were t- we were, I was talking to Josh Bryceland, and he was quite interested in riding for the team. But at the time, you know, he was the up-and-coming rider on um, the Santa Cruz Syndicate team, which you know probably every downhill rider uh, you know wants to ride for that team or, or would be willing to you know to go to that team if, if they had the, the opportunity, um, especially back then when you know you had. Greg and Steve that were kind of heading that team um, and Kathy Sessler running the team you know obviously Santa Cruz Bikes has got a great um, sort of history and um, a great following um, and then obviously 
you know, other than my team, I was my favourite rider of all time was was Sam Hill. Uh, you know, just from his pure speed um, and what he did in the in his in, in the early days of his career, where he just came in, you know, super fast as a junior, and then just started just taking the whole field to pieces when it, when it came to really gnarly um, fast, you know, World Cup tracks. Um, obviously, you know, Sam riding flat pedals, and I've always been a flat pedal rider, so that was a huge um, bonus to me to see him him just destroying everybody. Um, and you know, I was just a big fan of Sam Hills as well as running my own race program. Anyway, when it came to sort of 2012, this was when we were looking at changing the team up and getting a high profile rider. Um, I ended up talking to, to Sam at one of the races and uh, he said to me, like, the team looked good and our bike looked good. And, you know, I was, I was pretty, um, pretty pleased to hear that from someone like him. Um, and I knew his contract was, um, was ending at the end of that year with Specialised. Uh, so I just said to him, you know, if, if, you, if you're interested in riding for the team, then, you know, just give me a shout. And actually never... Um, thought too much more of it you know I didn't really think he was going to come and ride for us and then I was back home in the off season and I was I was talking to my talk, to my wife about about that and you know she knew Sam was from me talking about him and you know she's not super interested in bikes but she obviously gets to see what's happening with you know it's my life really um, but she said well just drop him a line and see if he wants to ride for you as simple as that and I was like yeah, why not? May as well. So I just got messaged him, got in touch with him, and he he came back to me and then he said he was interested and maybe uh, he said, you know, could I try? Can I try the bike out? Obviously, he rode for Ainos that had great success with him under them, and and then Specialized, one of the biggest bike brands in the world. So then straight off, I was thinking, oh, you know, was he gonna? Is he gonna think our bike's any good? So. Then I realised that we, we were still on prototype bikes of the Mark II um, uh, pul- uh, Pulse bike, um, uh, proof Pulse, and um, we didn't actually have any bikes. So I sent in my bike, which was a size medium, which is what Sam would have wanted to ride, uh, sent him that over to Australia, and he went and rode that and messaged me back the next day after riding it, saying the bike's amazing. Uh, let's get the deal done and it was as simple as that really so um, obviously we agreed a, a, a price to, to pay him and um, we, we basically then rebuilt the team around Sam as our top rider which then on when you've got somebody like Sam riding for your team all your outside sponsors then all of a sudden want to step the game up and, and you know invest more in the team because you know they're getting Sam Hill on their products for a lot less money than they would if they were having to sponsor him as the, you know, as, as the main sponsor for that rider, um, and that's how that came about. At the time, a lot of people said to me, "Oh, why are you sponsoring Sam Hill? You know, he's on his way out, you know, because he hadn't had any any wins or many World Cup podiums in the last couple of years." But you know, like me and you, Dale, you, you kind of understand riders and you can see from, from the background that things aren't quite right 
and there's no reason that that rider can't get back to where they, they are. And you know, I, I discussed this with our boss, and um, you know, just having Sam Hill ride for your team and, and endorse your products from what he'd done in the past was a big enough thing for, for us to worth investing in. Um, so that I got the go ahead from from my boss for that to you know to get a salary, but then I really you know I really was a big fan of Sam's as I said, and I knew that if he wanted to win that he, he could win, and you know then you know once we, we we got working together and we became great friends, I understood you know I'll go into it, but why he wasn't performing like he was a few years ago. Um, just just various things that were happening in his life and, and, and where he was. And so he told me that he wanted to get back winning and that was his main goal and I believed him. And yeah, um, in the first year, he was back on the World Cup podium with us on, on the bike. So for, for us at the time, a, a new bike brand with uh, new proof and, you know, basically a, a Although a great big bike shop, but a bike shop race team, not a factory team, uh, to have Sam Hill riding for us and getting on the podium at World Cups, uh, you know, with the fan base that Sam has, it was just, it just turned the team up a notch into a different level. And then obviously we still had some other great riders on the team with with Joe Smith, uh, Matt Simmons at the time, and then Matt Simmons left went to. Another team, and then we we sponsored young Mike Jones, and he was getting some uh, amazing results. You know, he was super fast and talented. But then you put a young rider in a team that hangs out with Sam Hill and learns from Sam Hill, which Sam has done for various other riders like Troy Brosnan, Brendan Fairclough on on other teams. Uh, there's there's not much better you can get. So that just elevated our team up to that top level then and then in the second year of Sam riding for us he started winning World Cups again um, he won Monson and in 2014 and then he won the World Cup finals in in Maribel you know on tracks that are super uh, highly thought of of the, of the of the real riders you know that that, that like the gnarly flat out tracks um, he was second at Fort William in, in, in a massive crowd, uh, you know, for the UK audience that year. So we had an amazing year in 2014. Um, and then we went to the World Championships. Um, obviously, you know, like in BMX, down, it's, you know, you, there's that rainbow jersey. You know, some people prefer and think it's it's more achievable. You've got a bigger achievement if you win the World Cup overall. But then the World Championships is still that you know very coveted race that everybody wants to win, and especially Sam. It's always been a, a big thing for him to win that, and he, you know he'd won it um, you know uh, three other times as a senior rider, twice as a junior. But he was really hungry for that one. And that year it was in um, Hafjell in Norway, and Sam had never had great success at that track in the past you know he'd done well he'd been on the podium but he'd never won that race um, and so we we basically went to that race myself joe and mike um and, and jc the mechanic all for sam like sam was the only person racing that race uh, mike jones even though he should have done that year and joe hadn't made the uk downhill team because it's you know it was at that time it was super hard to make the UK team because there's so many good riders 
anyway, we all went. You know, the team all got on super well, and um, we were all there for Sam. And you know, we were go we go up the track, watch practice, and from the first practice run, I could tell Sam was on pace to as as fast as any of the top riders there. Uh, you know, we were we were timing sections and just ourselves um, and, and making sure Sam was on pace through each section, you know, going up and picking out the the, the more difficult sections. And, you know, obviously Sam is always the most creative on the bike on the whole World Cup circuit. He can find lines and ride lines that nobody else can. And he went at the top of his game and he, he was for sure doing that that week. And, you know, we were all super nervous, but really confident that, he had a chance of uh, winning gold gold medal there for, for us, which would have been an, an unbelievable achievement for our for our race program and team. So anyway, ended up. Uh, long story short, but Sam came down. Um, he was probably you know ranked about fourth and fifth from from the last rider on that day. It goes on the UCI rankings for the World Championship uh, race order, and. Sam was, I think, three seconds up on the fastest time at the split section. And then, you know, from that point down, and you got through all the, the, the most dangerous zones and he hit all his lines perfectly. And there was one more rock garden that Sam had absolutely dialed all week. And I was timing it up quite a lot. And he was over a second faster than any other rider through that section. And then it was an easy sort of, you know, finish, finish. Um, part of the track and so Sam had gained more time from the split time down to the rock garden and then apparently a, a spectator shouted you know Sam you, you you're way up on on the time and whether that affected him or what but he he was like an inch off line clipped this rock with his front wheel and scorpioned over the bars into the into the rocks and had a horrendous crash and he, luckily he got up and, and finished the race but uh, he would he would have definitely won that that world championships. I mean that was the race where Josh Bryson then was the quickest rider after Sam and overshot that last jump that everybody's seen and blew his foot to pieces um, and ended up second and and Giat and ended up winning that race. But uh, you know if Sam hadn't have crashed in that last rock garden, you know one of those again, um, he, he would have won that world championships for us and. That was a hard day for me and Sam. I think we were both in tears that day because uh, we knew how much it meant to, to him and the team and how much effort he put in at coming back and getting to that level again, you know, after some horrendous injuries and all the other stuff he went through. So that was a tough one. Um, but we finished off, you know, apart from that, the, the year went really well in 2014. So going into 2015, Sam trained super hard that winter because he was refocused. He knew he could win and he wanted to win. Um, and Mike Jones was getting in the top 10. Joe was in the top, getting top 15s. So we had a solid program, a smaller program than we originally started off with, but a much more solid program for results. And, and then... You know, a, a very high-profile team with with great bikes. So the new proof bikes were getting developed along the way, and we were putting a lot of input into that. So the bike brand was growing as well. Um, and then, uh, start of 2015, um, Sam was out 
training, um, doing some downhill runs just before he, he was due to fly over to France. You know, we, we always I always drive out with the UK riders with the mechanics take uh, we have a big Mercedes Sprinter as our uh, main vehicle and then smaller vehicles. So one vehicle will drive straight to the race, the other usually I'll drive the smaller one and pick pick the riders up from the airport like Sam and his mechanic and then we all meet up at the race and set up. Um, and he rang me like the day before he was supposed to fly out and said uh, he'd had a crash in training and, and he hurt his shoulder but he was still going to come and hopefully do the race. Turns out that he got to, to Lords, it was a brand new track in France and he couldn't even pick his arm up to put on the handlebars. He was trying to ride around in the in the pits and stuff, and there was there was just no way he was going to be able to ride. It turns out that he just completely nailed his shoulder, ripped all the ligaments off it, and he ended up flying home after that race and getting surgery yet again, you know, on, on his shoulder and having the ligaments reattached and stuff. Uh, but Mike Jones. Ended up coming third at that World Cup, um, which was a phenomenal result for, for the team and for Mike. Uh, with the help of Sam, Sam was you know walking walking the track all weekend, and you know rather than just being bummed out on himself, he really got involved and helped Mike and Joe out, uh, and we ended up getting a great result. But then Sam was kind of out injured for the rest of that season, um, and I think he probably felt the pressure to to come back racing for us because Mike didn't then get the results that he was getting when he was riding with Sam all the time. I think when you've got somebody like Sam on your team, uh, it's not only just uh, you know having a fast rider to ride with, but you've got somebody with that much credibility uh, just hanging out with them and doing the same things you know day in, day out at the races and learning from them. It, it's invaluable and I think that's what uh, really helped help the team at that point. Yeah. Anyway, you know, you've probably seen that in in the BMX in in the uh, racing as well. But anyway, the just to finish off on sort of where the team got up to, then at that point Sam tried to come back racing probably too early. His shoulder wasn't super strong, and you know, like any injury, a big injury like that, especially for downhill, where you're basically riding way faster than you need you know you want to be riding to 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 get the results at world cup down a level um you just didn't have the confidence at the same time we had a new generation bike and i think the combination of the new bike not having time on that uh, sam's another shoulder injury and just trying to come back too early it, it was just too much for him and he just didn't get the, re the results at the end of the season um you know what he wanted to have, which then moved us on to uh, 2016, and he just never seemed to get that form back for, for a while. Um, and then he started struggling with his with his uh, you know his mind and his um, just just the confidence that he had to ride at the level that he can ride, and that never really sort of came back uh, in 2016. In, in the meantime, um, one of our big sponsors um, was uh, Mavic. Uh, we, they've been a long-term sponsor and a new 
a new guy took over the sponsorship department there, um, who I, I had a meeting with and met at, at, Euro, at Eurobike in 2016, uh, a guy called Francois, and I got on really well with him. And um, I explained to him, you know, I asked him what was the focus on in mountain biking, because they just sponsored us for wheels, you know, the, the Mavic D-Max wheels have always been a, a really uh, good, popular um wheel in the downhill market for, for, for decades uh, but he said they were going to invest and try and grow the sort of enduro market which is something in the industry that was getting bigger and bigger so you know as you all know now everybody talks about an enduro bike an enduro bike is you know basically just a mountain bike not a downhill bike not a cross-country bike it's it's the bikes that you sell most of you know you're a and the bikes have got that good now, you know, your trail and your enduro bikes, you, you know, a lot of people will just have one bike. They don't need a downhill bike anymore and then a little jump bike and a cross-country bike. You can kind of do so much on, on, on an enduro bike now. Um, and that market was growing and that race scene was growing. You know, I think people were getting bored of going to a downhill race, uh, spending, you know, £90 on a... A race entry and getting maybe four practice runs and then doing one or two race runs whereas uh, you know enduro obviously the downhill world cup scene was still huge and, and and there was lots of investment going into there with teams and sponsors because you know it was free casting and red bull tv took over so the exposure side for the big brands was getting really good again like it was in the 90s and early 2000s uh, but you know, the bike sales and the race and the, the normal people that were not professionals going to races, there's more and more people getting uh, into enduro racing because, you know, an enduro race, you can ride around with your friends all weekend, you're on your bike all day, uh, and you get a lot more for your money. Um, so a lot of downhill riders were going into enduro as well as some cross-country riders that, that were really, you know, good bike handlers as well because it's a bit of a mix of you need endurance as well as downhill skills for enduro. So anyway, I, I said to Mavic, uh, well, if that's the case, how would you be interested in our team and Sam doing, say, you know, uh, four of the eight enduro rounds for Mavic will, you know, endorse your enduro products uh, and you invest a bit more into the team? And they jumped at that, that idea. So... Their investment in the team went way up. I said to the guys, look, we're going to still do the downhill, but we're going to do a few more, a few enduro races as well. And, you know, I've got really good riders and they always kind of go along with what I, I suggested. I've been lucky in that, that respect. Everyone was up for giving it a go. Uh, the sponsors, uh, you know, my sponsors were um, uh, happy to do that. And so... We decided to have a go at Enduro, and Sam ended up coming. He did one race in New Zealand where I think he placed ninth and won the last stage, and then uh, he said he really enjoyed it. So in 2017, we decided to do four rounds, and Sam ended up coming second at the first one we did. Uh, he won a round in France where he had a huge battle with Nicolas Vullio on his home trails. Uh, which went down, you know, which was crazy in the media, and he wasn't outside the top ten at the other races. Uh, 
So at that point, he said to me, look, I'm really into this enduro. The tracks were much gnarlier and more natural, which is like what, what Sam likes. And then, um, you know, just moving on from that, we, we've done now three seasons of um, racing enduro World Series, and the series has got harder and harder every year. Every year as it's got bigger, the sport's got bigger and more riders have come on into that. And Sam's won three straight world titles, which is more than I could ever have imagined we, we would achieve on the team. And then I've obviously brought on some other young riders like Elliot Heap, who's, who's local to me, who's an absolute phenomenal bike rider that, you know, can ride anything from, you know, he's, he's had a third overall in Junior World Cup. He was second last year at Four Cross World Championships and he's won the under-21 Enduro World Series. Um, so, yeah, we've, we've had massive success in the last three or four years. Yeah. Tell me a little bit about um, current state in the mountain bike industry. I know you follow, obviously, you've followed BMX still and you can probably see, I mean, we can see how, I mean, mountain biking looks so cool now, you, you know, when you watch the live feed and the crowds and the fans, and it seems like everybody's riding mountain bikes. Um, it seems like you're in a really healthy, healthy spot right now as a sport as compared to BMX. Um, what do you think, because I say you pay attention to BMX, what, is BMX doing something wrong? Are we, what, where are we? Because it's, yeah, it seems like mountain bikes just completely move forward a lot compared to BMX, you know? Yeah, so I think there's so many factors involved in in, in that, uh, and you know I'm not I'm not as nowhere near in, as involved in the BMX race scene as, as you are. And the one scene that I've never had much experience in is like the park and uh, you know what I used to call freestyle and uh, all that side of BMX. But I think for BMX racing. Uh, there's a couple of factors. I mean, just going off my own experience, unless you're a super high-level BMX racer, I think when you get to sort of 17, 18, you know, that kind of age, it sort of becomes a bit... um, You still sort of think of it as a... maybe as as a a kid's sport, you know, because you're riding a 20-inch... BMX and you're limited to where you can go on that bike and what you can do on it. Whereas a mountain bike, it's so broader of what you can do on that bike. You know, you can go to the dirt jumps on it. You can go to, especially in this day and age, you've got so many bike parks and you know ski resorts with chairlifts and the bikes are so good now. Like I said, you can buy a a good quality enduro bike and you can go and ride downhill tracks, you can go and ride cross-country trails, bike parks, uh, your local woods, you can go for a cross-country ride on it. it. It's so varied what you can do. And I just think that, you know, for people that are not at your level and professional level at BMX, then it, it just, it's, it's, it's a, 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 a wider sport and leisure activity to do, uh, mountain biking. I think... You know, I've thought about this a lot, uh, like the way BMX racing has gone, and a lot of people think, you know, quite a lot of people think that, you know, it's gone in the wrong direction with super high-speed eight-meter startles and tarmac burns and stuff. But I think 
to me, like I went to watch the the elite race the other week when it was in Birmingham, and the level of those guys, and you know, that, that was just the top UK riders with a couple of European riders. You know, I've, I've obviously been to Manchester and watched the Supercross round, um, and I know that track's quite tight, but the level that those guys are at and what they're doing, I just don't feel like they get the credibility for how much risk they're putting out there and, and what they're doing. But I, I, I think unless you're super, um, you know, under, if you, unless you've done BMX and you understand that as much, it's it's still maybe not as 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 good to watch for a, a kid that's not grown up doing BMX uh, than watching a say a you know a World Cup downhill event or watching Red Bull Rampage or you know watching the Fest series where. The guys are doing massive, you know, motocross, freestyle motocross size jumps on a mountain bike. I think that just looked more appealing to people, like, you know, like the X Games did for BMX and and, and, and other sports. And then, so I think it's hard now to, to try and, you know, compare the two disciplines. Um, I mean, I've thought... Again, I've thought, you know, where, where mountain biking tried to go with, with four cross, I think there were some really good ideas in the early days with some of those big mountain cross events and, you know, when they had the bands triple crown BMX. I think those kind of tracks would have been better to, to race on, on mountain bikes than, than BMXs. I mean, the guys at the time, you know, who, who won those events, it was amazing what they did. But if you look at that footage, it still looks sketchy because the tracks were that fast and that big. It's just, it's inevitable to be sketchy on a, you know, a I remember, I remember the, the, going back to the Vans Triple Crown days, I remember which was early 2000s. I remember having, a, I used to ride and train a lot with Cully, as you know. And yeah. I remember having a lot of debate. You know, Cully's always good for a debate. And he said back then, it goes, Dale, this is so much, it'd be so much more better if you could have suspension and a mountain bike and gears. And I remember we're just, but I'm like, no way, man, you know, and I was just yeah. like totally, but now looking, he was totally right. At least on that, um, the Woodward track and, and actually I posted a video a couple of days ago of the Mount High ra- uh, round as well, how it was down, you know, downhill, loose dirt, yeah. big jumps. And like I said, it would probably, that style of racing would have been pretty good on a mountain bike, I'm sure, you know. I mean, you, you see the, uh, the Seminic, right? He actually went and did a video about a year ago yeah, on Red Bull. I'm sure, actually, on that uh, same course, uh, Woodward East, I think it was uh, Woodward West. So, yeah. I mean, he looked amazing. You know, just just um, yeah, seeing him do that. You know. Yeah, I mean, you know, I, as you know, I'm a big fan of all kinds of different riders. Uh, you know, Brandon Seminic's unbelievable. His video, every video he brings out is just another level. And you know, <clears throat> there's a lot of kids, even local to me. Um, that ride you know on the local mountain bike scenes that don't even get to go to races they try and copy what he's doing you know at their level you know everyone all the kids are doing backflips and you know flipping barrel rolls and on the on the just enduro bikes over the jumps that they're making um and you know doing all kinds of tricks again kind of a bit like i guess what um you know i, I guess like in the early 90s where BMX races had the the king of dirt at the side of the race that I've seen footage mm-hmm. footage of. It's kind of gone a bit like that with mountain biking. So it's such a 
a wide range of riding you can do. Um, you know, you've got your, your World Cup downhill stuff, you've got your World Cup cross-country stuff, you've now got your Enduro World Series Enduro, which is as big as those other two disciplines, if not bigger now. And then you've also got, you know, all your bike part, your Fest Series, massive jump stuff, you've got your, your, your crank works with all your huge slope style stuff. There's so many different aspects not even to mention e-bikes now that have come are coming massive and that's going to get way bigger. Um, but it's so much of a bigger spectrum than BMX, especially racing is. So I kind of feel like, you know, and it's definitely not, I'm not suggesting that that's the way it should go, but in BMX, I think BMX is the best sport to learn what to to ride your bike when you're a kid for sure without a doubt it's it's the best thing to do and, and i love bmx racing um still still do it you know i raced i did the world championships in 2012 after not racing for what another seven years and then i, I did a national this year that you know i've not raced since 2012 i still absolutely love it and i i get as much pleasure out of watching paddy sharrick going around the track as i do as Brandon Samenik or watching Samuel ride downhill, you know, I, I, each one of those riders is amazing in their own sort of um, background, uh, own sport. I just feel like BMX racing is is never going to be where mountain biking is because there's so many bike sales in mountain biking because there's so many different areas to sell a bike and a bike product, you know, whether you're buying a thousand pound set of suspension forks to upgrade your bike or some carbon wheels that might cost two grand. Um, you know, and I've seen in BMX, some of the BMX bikes, BMX racing, some of the dads are spending thousands on the bikes to have, you know, the, the best stuff like kids did when we were young. But I just feel like there's not going to be the, 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 you know, the input of, of sales in BMX racing that can put BMX racing in the same spectrum of as mountain biking is because it's just so big and it's and it's more there's more adults buying mountain bikes than there is bmx bikes you know you might have you guys like myself who raced as a kid and then come back into it and they've got enough money because they've got a good job now to buy a two grand bmx but the the numbers of that is tiny compared to you know i can ride up to my local woods and there's there's guys on three four thousand pound mountain bikes that have never done a mountain bike race in their life mm-hmm. uh, and then as well as the mountain bike they're buying all the gear you know they've got the right gear the right shoes the right helmets and just the industry is really big and and, and healthy because the sport and the because mountain biking is a sport and it's also um, a leisure industry as well you know like there's 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 bike parks in in, in the uk and all around the world you know, there's one in North Wales, I won't mention the name of it. It's absolutely rammed every single weekend of the year. And for, for me and you, it, it would be the most boring place to go and ride your bike ever. But there's thousands of people go there because they buy a full suspension Enduro mountain bike, think that's what you need to ride around a smoothed out trail centre. And they're happy to do that. They work in an office, nine to five or whatever job they've got. They go, they go there at the weekend, ride, ride um, the four grand bikes around the around the place, even eight grand bikes. You know, I've, I've been there and seen people on eight thousand pound Santa Cruises. 
and there's a shop at that at that venue. It's got you know a cafe and lovely place. It's got a cafe and a bike shop in there. That bike shop sells all the highest end bikes going. It sells all the most expensive riding clothing and helmets, gloves, knee pads, everything. And this this sells so much stuff there because of it's at that um, trail centre. Whereas you know I went there last year. I just thought, you know, I've not been there for about five or six years. I just thought, yeah, it's as boring as I remember. But, you know, those places are so busy. Then you've got other bike parks, like Revolution Bike Park, that have invested huge amount of money in massive jump lines that are super easy to do. They look very impressive because the jumps are big. But, <clears throat> you know, if you can jump a bike and you've got a good bike, you know, even I can still do all those jumps. And it, it gives you that buzz that you had when you were a kid going through, you know, jumping King Kong at Three Sisters or whatever. <laughs> um, so I just think it's it's hard to compare the two sports to try and make BMX happen. But, as, but as just listening to like. just listening to, I mean, you talk about this a lot. But, um, just listening to that though, for maybe some some of the BMX people that listen to this, you can see why it's a trickle effect. Why I mean, I you know, you guys, you, you tell me how much you pay you guys, uh, how much you pay your guys, or you know, roundabouts, and 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 the, the big dogs that just make the big money they make. I mean, I think Aaron Gwen was saying, I mean, I think he said it, you know, officially, didn't he? Like he was, he was a million, yeah. making a million, right, last year. He was saying so. You can see yeah. why there's so much money, product bought, bikes, different. Things going on, you can see why it's still really healthy and the top dudes are making good livings, right? Yeah, absolutely. And, you know, it, again, mountain bike is nothing like other mainstream sports are. You know, Aaron Gwynn, you know, as, as you said, reportedly said he'd earn, you know, he's earning a million dollars with all the different deals, but he's, he's a really good businessman as well. So, you know, he had a lot of products that were paying him direct, not just his team. Um, and, you know, at the time he was dominating the World Cup, which was super healthy. It was really good. You know, on Red Bull TV at the time, Darren World Cup was the biggest viewed sport on the whole of Red Bull TV. So he was, you know, selling himself to the sponsors to say, look, I am worth this much money. And fair play to him, you know, because there is that much money in the industry to pay him that much money. Otherwise, it wouldn't have happened. Yeah. So, you know, everybody tries to get away with paying as little as they can to the riders, but those top downhill guys, and I, I totally, the highest respect to the BMX riders who are doing Supercross, those guys deserve to be paid really well, because what, you know, the, 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 the joy that they give people to watch that stuff and the passion, you know, people who are into mountain biking, they're as passionate about watching the down the World Cup and they enjoy a World Series as football fans are going to a football match. It's, it's that you know that much passion involved. You know, has I was going to say, as Red Bull TV, you know, I know it was free cash or whatever it was before, you know, uh, now Red Bull. Do you think that's helped a huge amount? You know, just the reach that that gets has that really shown the growth over yeah. the years? Yeah, yeah, definitely. Um, obviously, when I did quite a bit of. The commentary with Rob Warner when it was free. You have, I mean, for anybody who hasn't listened, you have the best. <laughs> I can't believe they're not using you. I know you're busy at the races already, but the, what year is it? 2014 was when Danny won? Uh, it was, yeah, 14, yeah. Everybody out yeah. there, Google, YouTube, Danny Hart, World Championship, run. Sean Prix. Yeah, Sean Prix, Rob Warner, and Nigel Page. I mean, every. I think even Lance Armstrong tweeted it at some point, you know. It's just... 
you and Warner um, announcing that was just amazing on top of Danny's run, you know. So, um, yeah, you did a great job at that. Yeah, I mean, cheers. I mean, I, I did really enjoy doing that with Rob. I'm still really good friends with Rob and we kind of gel quite well together and, we, you know, we don't take ourselves too seriously. Um, so we had fun doing that. Um, the thing was, obviously, with Freecaster, the guys that were doing Freecaster, they... they <clears throat> They uh, encouraged us to be super over the top and excited. Um, so, you know, they used to bring beers in. and Yeah, you guys beers. would drink, right? Why are you doing it? Oh, yeah. I, I mean, by the time Danny's run came, I <laughs> must have had about 10 Leathered. beers. Yeah, I was pretty I was pretty levered at that point. <laughs> Plus, I'm, you know, I'm super passionate about it. And then, so with the beer, and me and Rob trying to, you know, outdo each other on the commentary as well as, you know Danny's run, which was you know one of the best all-time downhill runs ever. Yeah. Uh, you know, there's been quite, there's been, you know, five or six of those runs over over the period of time, like Kovarik, Samuel, uh, Danny Arts run there. There's, there's there's been some very special runs, and that was definitely one of them. Mm-hmm. Um, but so once Freecaster, obviously Red Bull saw the opportunity that. That, you know the sport was growing again, and they they had their own TV production company, and they got the they took over and bought the rights to do the the um, uh, World Cup downhill and the cross country uh, World Cup. That that kind of changed because they were a lot more professional, and you know Rob Rob Rob's told me since you know that he has to go to you know train he has to go for training to speak properly and. Oh, wow. And they they do it, you know, they do it as a really professional TV outfit. And I think like the the craziness that me and Rob did in that um, uh, announcing, I don't think that those guys, because you know the, the the German or Austrian or whatever, they, they haven't got quite the sense of humour, mm-hmm. same sense of humour as us. And I think they just thought that that was too wild and that wasn't the direction they wanted to go in. Plus, um, you know, Rob. Rob has an amazing voice for, for TV and stuff. And, you know, even my, you know, the accent that I've got, I don't think that even suits what Red Bull kind of like. Um, so, yeah, unfortunately, they didn't want to do that. Plus, then they sort of got Claudio to do it with Rob. And Claudio was all already quite well in with Red Bull. He was a Red Bull athlete and had done other, other kinds of work for Red Bull and was friends with him. So... Yeah, unfortunately, it went that way. But like you say, I was super busy um, with with my team. Um, I, I have done the announcing a few times for BBC since then, um, separate to what Rob does. But I did, I did really enjoy doing that stuff. Yeah, you, you're a great job. Obviously. I've known you such a long time. <coughs> and Warner as well, man. Just a funny guy. Um, but like I say, I think it's all package-wide, mountain biking. Like I feel when I... I, you know, it's a, a World Cup weekend, and I'm looking at the websites. I mean, there's a whole other conversation there. You guys have great media, uh, you know, the edits, the team edits, all stuff that doesn't really happen in, in BMX racing and uh, what BMX really racing should be doing. Because um, like I say, you, you feel like you're at the World Cup even when you're not there with all the media and watching the live feed, and that's like, man, that was just a good good weekend, to, you know, watching mountain biking, you know. So um, I feel that that's where BMX lacks a lot as well, you know. Yeah, like you say, I don't, I'm not sure that it, it, BMX racing on its own, you know, I think I think the whole of the BMX industry would have to come together, sort of, 
Uh, you know, I've seen some super cool stuff from BMX over the years, um, which you, you'll know all about, like that Vans Triple Crown, um, the stuff that, you know, Kai's built where the, the tracks are a bit more a bit more hardcore than, say, uh, BMX races, even though a BMX race is super hardcore. He's tried to make it a bit more appealing to young kids that are maybe not doing that, but they're watching it. You know, like Red Bull Rampage, for, for instance, that's the, I think that's the biggest viewing mountain bike event there is. You know, I, I, I love mountain biking, and I watch that, and I'm like, I, I don't even want to watch it sometimes. And I, I know how talented them guys are, but the risks that they're taking, it just doesn't, it doesn't do it for me, but it does for a lot of other people. You know, people like to watch crazy stuff on, on TV and online. And I think that, you know, to, to a lot of people, BMX racing, if you're not into it, uh, isn't, isn't crazy enough to, to make it big enough for huge viewing figures, you know, for, for TV and stuff. Um, so I think that's one factor, I, and, and then again, I think you know, like you've mentioned to me before, there was a lot more money in it in the early days of BMX racing when there wasn't as many brands. So the bigger BMX brands could afford to pay the top riders big money to promote the products, which is what's happening in mountain biking. But you know, if you dilute, you know, if you've only got a hundred sales in in BMX and you've got you know, 50 brands, you're not going to sell many products. Obviously, that's just the figure. Whereas, you know, this, this, and, and mountain biking is getting that way, I think. There's more and more brands coming all the time. Like a lot of big brands, for instance, have a bike brand, then they make a clothing brand, and then they make a helmet, and they make a shoe. And I think sometimes it might be like some of those companies who have got the money to invest in that are trying to make a bit more money, whereas I think that then kills off the brands that are just selling clothing or just selling shoes or just selling helmets. So I think sometimes it would be nice if people didn't get too greedy and they'd stick to what they're doing well and that gives more opportunity for each individual sort of uh, company to, to still make money in the industry. But mountain biking's you know, big enough um, and, and a wider enough spectrum that, that you know, it's still healthy and, and there's the money that can be put back into race programs uh, as long as the the races are still good and keep evolving and and the, um, the, there's, the there's the money there for the for the guys to, to put the neck on the line and, and make it excitable for us all to watch. And then, you know, all those guys go and, buy their favourite bike brand they spend like three, four to eight, ten grand on a bike and go around in the local woods and then come over and watch the World Cup at the weekend, you know, that's how it works and same same with football Formula One, all that kind of stuff just not quite at that level but it's, you know, it's it's a lot I guess better than BMX racing What do you think, um, give, it, oh, give, it, give us um, some of the numbers that some of these mountain bike teams are putting into a yearly budget so the and these are only these are only you know guesses. I don't know exactly what figures that some of the mountain bike um, teams are spending, but I would imagine uh, down downhill cross country. I don't know exactly, but I believe some of the cross country <coughs> um, salaries and race programs are the biggest 
because you know you've got Olymp- they're, they're Olympic athletes and Olympic programs. Uh, there's more money goes into that. You know, I've heard we heard some of the top uh, cross country riders earning like you know six hundred thousand euros a year. Uh, I, I have no idea if this is true, but I was told uh, there's a I don't do you know is it Paul Vanderpool the guy the cyclocross guy yeah the guy does does it at all and yeah he does them both doesn't he he's on hundred uh, percent I think for yeah well I I mean again this could be completely way off but I I heard of somebody that he signed a deal with Canyon just for frames for one point four million wow uh, I mean that guy's but, like kind of like gonna. Peter Sagan type dude though, isn't he? That's just amazing at both, right? Yeah, so he's you know he absolutely dominates, d- uh, dominates the uh, cyclocross races, uh, but which is absolutely huge in Belgium. It's their national sport, you know, right. it's like football. But for can win cross country mountain biking and World then, Cups as well. Yeah, then he can come in and just win a, a cross country World Cup and a. You know, the, the cross-country eliminator race, uh, sorry, not the eliminator race, the short track that they have now, which is really exciting. Um, and also, um, he's apparently he's got the ability to, you know, win big road races as well. So he's, he's a one-off guy. Um, you know, the downhill World Cup teams, you know, like uh, the specialised uh, gravity team that Loic Bruni rides for, uh, that has to be... You know, with specialising all their sponsors, that's got to be a million euro a year team plus, I'd say. Um, I mean, Santa Cruz Syndicate must be over a million dollars a year with the riders that they have or have had in the, the past, you know, and the investment they put into that team. Um, you know, the Athens team, I'd imagine that was over, that was around a million pounds when they were on, you know, GT and Trek for, you know, when Rachel and G were, were winning. Um, so there's a lot of, of of money in the sport. You know, our, our programs n- n- never been, you know, not even sort of half half that kind of thing. It's still pretty money. big, though. It's still pretty big. Yeah, still still big, but you know that there is a lot of bigger investment teams. You know, some some of those programs, uh, you know, like you remember when Steve rode for GT. You mm-hmm. know, some of them programs have. Uh, you know, a mechanic for every rider. They've got a, a massive big uh, semi truck all kitted out in the back for you know, like a supercross style. They've got uh, somebody cooking the food. They've got the team manager, a road manager, a masseur, a masseur, and, and there might only be two or three downhill riders on that program. You know, it, it's it's absolutely bonkers how much is going into into the downhill program. Whereas the enduro. World Enduro Series, the teams are a lot smaller than that. Um, everybody basically has a, a Mercedes Sprinter and a tent like, like we have. You know, you'll have, uh, you'll have your riders and a, some teams have a mechanic per rider, but you might just have a couple of mechanics for three riders or four riders because uh, there's not as much demand on the equipment because you're basically out all day. Once you leave the start line for your Enduro race, you, you're kind of on your own apart from one pit stop. Um, so there's not as much going up doing a practice run, coming down and changing all your settings and stuff like that in downhill. Um, so, but, you know, I'd, I'd imagine Sam, Sam is probably the highest paid rider in Enduro, and he deserves to be. I would imagine, anyway, I don't know all the figures for Enduro, but there is, 
some, you know, even even like the top third, top twenty, top thirty enduro riders now, they can probably be asking for, you know, thirty, forty thousand pound a year, even maybe more than that, plus um, all all the expenses and bonus and big big bonuses on top of that. Whereas you know your top level enduro riders are like you know close to the sort of top level downhill riders, you know, in excess of 100, 200,000 pounds plus bonuses and so and and on all your expenses and then all the bikes you get and equipment and everything else. Yeah. Tell us a little bit about like uh, activation at a race, you know, I always look, look to, um, you know, see stuff at the pits and stuff at the World Cups. I remember when I used to go to Scotland, um, you know, we just did the four cross stuff over there. It's just, just always packed with fans and interaction and um, you know, the teams had, you know, let's say big, you just kind of said it, big trucks, big semis, some of the bigger teams. Um, how yeah. much does it cost so, to even set up at an Enduro World Cup or a, a regular, you know, European World Cup? Is it, uh, give us a little idea on that. Yeah, so obviously the, the way downhill has gone at the moment, and, you know, I don't, I don't think it's, you know, the be-all and end-all to get the results. Um, some riders think it is, some riders don't like I'm lucky with Sam. Sam Sam just performs if he's happy and he's with people that he enjoys being with and knows how he works. So I'm lucky in that respect. You know, I get on really well with Sam. Whereas other riders think that, yeah, you have to have that big truck. You've got that big truck. You've got your Marseille. You've got your team. I guess that whole package makes them feel feel more supported and better and even mentally makes them think well I've got all this so I've got no excuses now that I can't win you know a downhill race you're talking tenths of a second to win the race and they're all brilliant riders everybody's got a good bike everybody's got good components on the bike now you know there isn't really many bad bikes anymore like there was in the early days of downhill so the equipment is all uh, pretty similar but then you know to, to go to a the downhill world cup is actually cheaper than the world enduro series to, to be a top level team so you go to a world cup downhill and you're a <clears throat> top uci level team which is you know the top 10 teams in the world for instance that used to be about four thousand euros to be that status then you know you get say 80 meters square tech space in the in the main area if your if your tech if your uh, team setup's bigger than that then you pay a, 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 an excess per square meter so some of these big teams with those massive big tents and semi trucks they're paying thousands for every single world cup but in return you say you know world championships 2007 in fort william i think they have 40,000 spectators so it's like a football match. So you've got all these in, in, uh, people coming, paying to, to watch the event and get the experience. The, those teams want to create the, the biggest, most coolest uh, area for the fans to walk around and hopefully then you know have a favourite team and then buy those those bikes that those teams are uh, promoting. And that that's just how big it is. And so those teams are feeling like the more they invest into 
the setups and and making the sport as good as possible that is then going to sell more bikes and more products which enables the sponsors to give them more money and it's like a chicken and egg situation mm-hmm. yeah. so and it, it definitely does you know when we used to go and watch the supercross uh, back in the 90s when i used to stay at yours and we'd go and watch anaheim uh, you know for me I enjoy going and looking at the Kawasaki pits as yes. much as watching the race. Yeah, so agree. I totally get that, but you know I don't think it's the be all and end all to win the races. But it it, it has gone that way with downhill, and I think it's really cool if you can you know if your team has the money to do that. Um, Enduro World Series, which you know as I say is growing massively, the, the the participation numbers are bigger in Enduro than they are in downhill, but you can't you can't film the whole race, so it's harder to capture the event. You know they're doing a really good job, Chris Ball and the EWS guys. And, and this year was going to be really cool that GMBN, which is is now massive in mountain biking. You know it's basically your online MBUK from the nineties or like the Top Gear uh, of mountain biking, which is huge. Uh, you know, people watching YouTube all the time, watching all the all the technical stuff on uh, uh, that GMBN put out, as well as the the reports from the races. They were going to be the official partner for the EWS this season, so that was going to be really cool. And is so, that the same guys that did? Is, was it Future Publishing? Is it the same same dudes, right? It was a, a guy that worked for Future. He was one of the top guys, and then. I think he had this vision to to do like a GMBL, GMBN style thing online, and mm-hmm. they didn't want to do it with him or whatever. So I think he left and did it himself. Okay, got it. Now, got it. now really, it's got a know, huge following, hasn't it? Yeah, I look at. So. Yeah, it's massive. I mean, New Proof pay them, you know, as well as many other people to you know to 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 use New Proof bikes in their in their videos, and you know some some of those guys. Um, you know, because a lot of people that follow mountain biking, you know, it's such a big variety of people. Some people don't even watch the World Cup down or know even what it is, uh, but they watch GMBN, mm-hmm. you know, and they'll they'll listen to what those guys are telling about the products. Because, you know, another massive platform for for mountain biking is Pink Bike. Yeah. don't know if you go on Pink yeah, Bike. Yeah, 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 I check that, yeah. You know, Daily News Story. If you check the comments and all the, um, you know, the the feedback that you get from putting an article up, you'll get more people talking and discussing a new bike than you will if Loic Bruni's won the World Championships. People are so... Well, you, you know that on your own, bikes. you know that on your own personal Instagram, you know, you could, there's a picture of me riding my bike or at the track going through, a, you know, a rhythm section, whatever. And then you look at the, you know, what what you get, and then you do a techie post like, hey, these are new, whatever it is, you know. You, yeah. I know when you're posting your bikes, you get a lot of traffic, you know. So people are techie, aren't they? Especially in mountain biking. Oh yeah, I mean it's it's huge, you know. Like Chain Action Cycles has their own like hub page, and you know if we one of the big, you know, we can spend, you know, we spend thousands and thousands of pounds on a on a, on a videographer to follow the team around the world and. And create team videos, and, and they're cool. But if, if if they post up a a GoPro run that Sam's done from an EWS stage, that gets more hits than the entire team video because wow. people, 
you know, sat in their office and at work and at home that don't get to go to all these places. They might get to go, you know, on, a, on one holiday a year to the Alps or whatever, or Whistler. Uh, the, the rest of the time, like I used to be sat in the office, you, you want to watch stuff, don't you, that you wish you were doing? So you can create as much content as you want. You, you know, as a professional athlete, you think, nobody wants to see this. This is boring. But to people that don't get to do all the cool stuff that we've been able to do, that's massive to them, and they want to. They always want to buy the next bike or the next component. So all the tech videos on the bikes and stuff, people love that stuff. As soon as there's a new, you know, Rockshox fork available, people want that fork or you know a new set of Mavic wheels or a new like we're we're sponsored by Michelin now, and they, they Michelin really come back strong on the. On the on the tire market, they've got big, you know, old school Michelin race logo on the side. Every time I post a picture of my bike, I must have four or five people message me, "When can we buy these tires?" Mm-hmm. You know, people just love the the, the 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 techie bits, and I think that's something that the BMXs maybe I miss it, but could be doing. You know, they could be doing videos on their new race bike and explaining to the to the public why that bike is so cool because to them it's just another BMX bike that's you know they've had a million BMX bikes but if they could get across and explain why that bike's so good and what goes into making it and how much it weighs and you know what, you know even you know we go you know how much how sweet you've got on your bars and all that kind of stuff I think people would start following it a little bit more maybe yeah, no, I agree. No, I'd say this just seems like you just talked about in the last hour. There's more, more of a lifestyle. It's just bigger pie, which obviously, you know, lots of different directions. Where BMX racing, if you BMX race, there's only really one pathway. Or there's a couple, you know, regional, locally, nationally, internationally, world championships and Olympics. But there's only so many. Uh, at least if you become a top athlete, there's only really one path to go, which is you know chase the Olympic. Thing where, like, say, mountain biking, people like Steve Pete and you know Chris Kavarik. I know I, I saw he's still active doing, I think, coaching yeah. and stuff. There's so many different um, ways guys can make a living and still be involved. I mean, Hans Ray's still out there doing stuff, you know. Yeah. So it seems yeah. like uh, there's so many more opportunities just because it's just a bigger, healthier pie for everybody to, um, you know, for, for it all to happen. Um, what's your thoughts on pump track? I know it's you guys have had it a little bit in England, mm-hmm. and I saw it happening before in. In the states here, but it's starting to take off, or a lot of tracks are starting to get built now. And uh, until recently, you know, obviously all this Corona stuff, there was going to be a couple of series, or a, a series was about to, you know, uh, kick off this next month. Um, do you see? There's any, um, you know, what's your thoughts on on pump track, and maybe it's a way where BMX can integrate with mountain biking a little bit, and might even help us out. You know, yeah, yeah, uh, definitely. Uh, I think it's you know anything is healthy for the for the sport and especially to to get kids riding i mean what one thing i've noticed uh, lately and i know i'm getting a lot older and slower but some of these national sized bmx tracks they're just i don't feel like they're that fun for for kids and i don't know if the kids even realize because they've not they've grown up riding those tracks but i feel like the tracks are designed the jumps are that long and you've got to pedal that fast to be able to clear those jumps. That the kids can't. And I know you've got. I know there's progression, but 
the very young kids, all they do is pump around the track because they don't have the speed or you know the physical power to, to go fast enough to jump those jumps. And I think that's where the pump track thing comes in. You know, if you've got a really good technical pump track, you know, the, the jumps are, you know, even as a small kid, you can manual jump transfer, learn all the things that you, you know, maybe we would have done on the tracks uh, that had smaller jumps, even going back to the the mid 2000s you know i could go to a, a bmx track that i you know i haven't really rode bmx race but i could probably jump most of the jumps whereas now there's, there's no chance you know uh, some of them i just can't physically pedal fast enough to to clear you know uh, a 30 foot triple into the first corner you know even if i wanted to do that mm-hmm. whereas you know i could jump a 30 foot jump on the mountain bike no problem with with gravity you know assisting me um so I think the pump track is, is really good. Um, it, it also, you know, you, you only need a small area. You can have them next to shopping centres and in, in, in built-up areas. And it, you know, hopefully will bring kids and families interested in riding BMXs that wouldn't even know where a BMX track existed or what a BMX track was. Because, you know, we, we forget we... We, we've grown up with BMX and, and lived through it our whole lives. There's tons of people out there that don't even know that there's a BMX track up the road in Koppel or in, in Liverpool or, you know, where you live. I'm sure there's millions of people that don't even know there's a BMX track wherever they are where you're based. Mm-hmm. And I think the more pump tracks are built, you know, a, a, a family can go to a place like we're hopefully getting a we're getting a little tiny bike park built near where I live, and there's there's talks there's a new shopping centre getting built, and they're talking hopefully they'll if this other thing's successful they'll get the funding then to put pump track next to the new shopping centre. So you know families that take the kids to the shopping centre, you know you might get twenty percent of those kids that are going with their mom say, hey mom I want to go and I'm going that pump track, and then that brings them into BMXing and then that might move them to go learn about BMX and then go go to a BMX race. So I think it could be a really good feeding thing for BMX racing. But I also think that, you know, also kids, you know, some kids are not that competitive about racing other kids. Some kids are, some kids aren't. Like my little lad, he's brilliant on the pump track. He's really fast in the corners. But he, at, at the moment, you know, he's only, he's only eight. But he hasn't really got any desire to go and race other kids because he, he's a bit scared that they're going to cut him off on the start and knock him off. You know, he's, 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 he's comfortable with his own ability. And I'm more than happy for him to do that because he's got the ability to ride good and, and um, stuff. But you know, not everybody's as competitive as other people. So with a pump track... You know, even if you just do time laps and timing yourself, you can do that, and it, it may be not as scary to some kids as going down a five meter startle when you're, you know, eight, nine, ten years old. So, and obviously, um, the other side of it, now that it's a UCI discipline and you can ride a mountain bike or a BMX, you know, tons of people that do downhill, they all, they're sort of bringing back jump bikes again, which kind of died off a little bit for a while because as I say you know back in the 90s and early 2000s you had a downhill bike maybe you had a cross country bike and you had like a jump bike whereas 
the, the, the sort of trail and enduro bikes have got that good now, you can kind of just do most things on one bike. Whereas on a pump track, you, you, you know, you can go and ride it on your full suspension mountain bike, which some, some older guys will do. Um, but if you get into it, that's going to then generate sales for BMX and, and pump, pump uh, sort of jump bikes again. And, um, I, you know, I, also you don't need a carbon race bike to go and ride a pump track, do you? Yeah. So I would, I would hope that, you know, it even creates another sort of genre of BMX where you've got your full-on short skate park bike, which you can ride a, uh, a pump track on. Uh, you can ride it on your race bike, but it might even become uh, a more 90s chrome molly, 80s, 90s style BMX again that's suitable to ride pump track and go and do dirt jumping on and you don't have to have a, uh, you know, a carbon race bike or a super short, no brake, free, you know, skate park bike. I don't, I don't know. I think it's just um, it's early days, but I, I think it could be really good. And then the racing is super exciting. You can do it at night. It's easy to flood light. Any racing at night, you're going to get a big crowd of people having a beer and watching and cheering, and that's what makes that exciting because they can see the whole thing. And it's it can a race can be done and dusted really quickly and move on to the next one. So I think it's it's really cool. And you know yourself, I still love riding pump track at 48 years old. It's it's fun and it's not dangerous, is it? No, no, it's absolutely. Yeah, I really enjoy it. You know, it's like I. I, I go to the spot, you know, drop my daughter off, go to the spot over here in San Diego where I ride at the Highland Valley. Yeah. And, uh, you know, I was talking to the skateboard guy I see a lot. And he's like, man, every time I see you, he's like, you look pretty good, but you always do the same thing, you know? It's like you're always yeah. same. I'm like, that. I'm, I'm happy just I'm at my own level. I'm not trying to, you know, push my limits or challenge myself. But I just enjoy, as long as I feel good on my bike, you know, when you sit on your bike and yeah. you just, just yeah. feel good. I mean, that's... That's all I need, you know, at my age now is to do that. I don't need to feel like I need to do something different or challenge myself. And, and a few guys, you know, have said, like, why don't you try and do this and that? I'm like, you know, I'm just, just kind of enjoying doing my own little thing, you know, just whether that's pumping, yeah. pumping, two, 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 or whatever, you know, the, the joke. Um, it's just yeah. feeling, feeling good on my bike and, you know, riding for an hour. So I love it, you know. It's, uh, I really, uh, it's given me a new lease of life riding the bike now that these spots are starting to, um, you know, they're starting to build them here in, um, all over the US, but San Diego as well. So it's a good spot to, to ride bikes. Um, last last question: Would chain reaction uh, again? Um, and I mean, you talked about it, but it'd be cool to know. Would chain reaction ever be interested in getting into the BMX thing? Is it too small? The team and that? Or, you know, I'd say your hands are pretty. You're pretty busy already. But is there any any thoughts on that? You know. Um, well, I've, to be honest, I've asked quite a few times about this. Um, I mean, <clears throat> you might have seen. Uh, when when we did the when I did the BMX Worlds in um, in Birmingham, I told them that I was going to do that. I actually bought a um, Stay Strong GT uh, cruiser off Marco, built that up, mm-hmm. and then I raced that at a national to get some points to qualify. And then a couple of weeks before the World Championships, uh, my, my I. We, my uh, garage got broken into and stole a number of bikes and motorbikes and they, they took that, that cruiser. Um, and the guy, uh, Ali Beckett, who worked for Neat Proof at the time, who I'm still really good friends with, he was like, don't worry, send me some numbers and I'll get you a, a frame made and we'll do a cool little pro- project. So 
I kind of looked at the numbers that the, the, the GT bike had and a few other bikes that I like the look of and kind of swapped it all around a bit, lengthened the top tube a little bit because, uh, you know, I was used to riding mountain bikes and got them to make, I think they made three cruiser frames and made me a 20-inch frame. There's actually only one new proof 20-inch frame ever been made, um, which I've, I've got. And um, <coughs> so after that uh, race, I said, look, why, why don't we uh, make some BMXs? Um, you know, I, I, I know enough people to get somebody pretty high profile to ride for us. Wouldn't even cost that much money. And I was really into the idea. Um, but um, at the time, we were making four cross frames because we had a couple of four cross riders, the Mercura brothers, that were doing really good at World Cup four cross uh, before that went, went down. And... Uh, my boss, you know, he's massively into mountain biking, but he's not into BMX racing, um, and he's not really into four cross like jumpy type of guy. He's more into downhill and uh, enduro and that kind of stuff. Um, and he just said, "Look, the 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 numbers are just not big enough to, you know, we don't sell enough four cross, even though it seemed like most people in the UK had a, a neat proof four cross frame because they were really good." They just weren't selling the numbers that was making it worthwhile for the business, for the investment and the time that it took off people's, you know, time, the, the designers in the office to make a BMX bike when they could be making the next generation new proof mega enduro bike. You know, it's still a small team and to make anything, it, it takes time away from uh, the stuff that they need to do. And if you add more employees and more people, you know, to, to do more projects that aren't necessarily going to make much money. It's not worth the investment to a big company. So, you know, I've asked a few times, I've said, you know, uh, the people that have tried my 20-inch and my Cruiser, they really liked it. You know, I think it's a good brand for BMXing, um, but at this point, I just don't think the sales are big enough for them to, to want to do that. You know, who, who knows? One day they might, they might decide they want to do it, and I, I do... Uh, always ask, you know, every couple of years or whatever. Like, I, I would really like to um, make a cool bike. And, you know, obviously now, well, you probably don't know, but New Proof now have uh, clothing, you know, riding clothing. So we've, we've got a really cool uniform as well as, you know, easy to make a BMX bike. I'd love to sponsor someone like Paddy Sharrick, who's local to me. Yeah. I, like, I like to have really cool... Um, uh, local riders on my program as well as having someone like Sam and just like you know it's, it's nice for me to be able to offer somebody local uh, the support that you know I would have loved to have when I was racing yeah that's uh, cool and Paddy would be a great guy to sponsor when he would say good style and everything isn't he? yeah I love his style I like Paddy I like his dad and you know uh, he would be the first person that I would uh, you know call up to say would you like to ride for new proof for us um, and, and then and then obviously I would definitely use my experience from mountain biking to get Paddy to do a lot more social media stuff for the bike and the brand which we're getting you know pushed to do more and more and more all the time and he's the perfect person to do that you know I think sometimes them guys all they do is the same thing all the time you know they're doing the training program for BC which I guess you have to do at that level and then they Go, go away and come back on Monday and start all over again. Whereas in mountain biking, as soon as you're not at a race, p 
people are doing stuff all the time. You know, like Loic Bruni is a good example. You know, he's three times down a world champion, but he's always putting funny content out and taking the mickey out of himself. And yeah. Him and Amory Pirion, who are the two dominant French riders again in downhill. They're, they're so funny, them guys, and they, they've got a really massive following because of what they do. They don't take themselves too seriously when they're outside of the race, do you know what I mean? I think there's a lot of a lot of guys in BMX that could 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 go that route, but it's say there's there's not many opportunities for him to do them. But like like say somebody like you getting hold of Paddy and then Paddy um yeah, just doing different things and with his you know, it's, it's like Dylan into even though same area as yeah. well. Just kinda could probably make it work without even having to worry about going to a race, you know, just by doing cool cool shit, you know. Yeah, absolutely. I think, you know, and that I think that's the one thing maybe the BMX races are not doing as well as the mountain bikers, which right. then doesn't make the sport as, as appealing to some of the kids that are, have not been brought up racing BMX. You know, kids want to see things that's exciting and makes them want to do that uh, and, and to be a bit of fun as well, don't they? So uh, you've got to try and think outside the box on how to make your sport more appealing to the people that aren't already doing it. Yeah, and I think so. I hope with, with Pump Track maybe, and then, um, you know, who knows what's going to happen after this whole corona thing, but maybe, you know, a bit of a, a restart, a bit of a pedal back maybe, and, and some opportunities for some of these. Because it would be a shame to see a lot of the top guys, um, the current Olympic guys, kind of walk away. You say they're, they're already struggling financially, a lot of them, you know, to make it work. But like I say, if there's yeah. sponsors like you that could take them under the wing and do cool stuff and uh, yeah just another avenue to prolong your career and do cool stuff promote and um, help the sport at the same time you know so I think it's a win-win you know but like I say it's it's finding the right riders and and brands that want to kind of work together and again I guess Barry Nobles is uh, one of the few examples in in BMX race that's done lots of different things and made it work Caroline Buchanan as well and there's a handful that would be would be good to see because there's a lot of talented current races um, that, yeah, probably might not get the opportunity to do that. You know, once their funding for their, in particular, country is over, then they they just disappear, you know, which is a shame. Yeah, absolutely. I mean, the, the, you know, you know, um, and, and I've, I've had to go that way, but there's, there's, there's so many other opportunities within the industry to do things. And, you know, at the end of the day, sponsors are only putting money into a programme if they're getting a return for it. So, you know, if, if if we were on our race team and didn't win any races and didn't do anything else other than go to a, uh, a race, uh, you know, we didn't promote the product, that would soon just end because, you know, a company looks at how much they're invested and, and what the return is on that investment. And it's the same with anything. If, if a BMX rider, even if he's not getting paid a lot of money, if he goes out of his way, like I used to do when I was, you know, racing in the 90s. I didn't even get a salary, uh, you know, in the late 90s in mountain biking. But, you know, I think there was a poll one year in Dirt Magazine and I was like the third most, uh, you know, third rider in the country for, for, for coverage. That's then worth something to a, a sponsor, especially in this day and age, you mm-hmm. social media. Yeah, I'd so say you're doing it before before social media. Like I say, when there was so, the Dirt Magazine and so there was just all the videos and Sprung and all. I mean, you was part of all that, man. It was just cool 
you still people still talk about all that stuff now, you know? Yeah, yeah, and, and it's coming back in mountain biking. Like Tom Caldwell uh, has, has done some really good mountain bike videos lately, and he's just done one not with top level riders, but with some top level riders, but with riders in in, in the local areas. And he he, bu- he filmed a bunch of lads from from Merseyside uh, at a local riding spot I go to. And they're, they're not Loic Bruni and they're not fucking Amory Pirion or Danny Art, but they're insane riders that are doing crazy stuff trying to outdo each other. And that segment of that video got way more uh, traffic and, su- and support and, and love than you know some of the other sections filming some of the top World Cup guys on their local trails. And what and so, about the video that you got? You, the guy you guys just did a video. You Will Longden, uh, Pete, and Rob Warner. I mean, yeah, that was yeah. just just cool shit. You know, it's uh, you know yeah, stuff you've like got that. To, you, you've got to remember. You know, you know. Obviously, Steve Pete's still super fast. You know, me, Will, and Rob can all ride bikes at a, a high level to to most people. But you know, you put our video next to what the, the young kids are doing now and we look rubbish but it doesn't matter there's a massive amount of people that follow the sport and what we're doing that are our age that have got the money to buy bikes yes. that the young kids haven't and they're still interested in that like I've been racing some of the uh, Enduro World Series races because they have a, a vet you know a, a vet uh, world championship class and um you know, sometimes I go to the race and I think, should I be racing? Because really my job's to run the team. But at an enduro race, once the riders leave the pits, there's nothing really I, I can do. You know, it's just down to the mechanic then. If, the, if there's a pit stop to come in and he's limited on what he can do to the bike. So and Sam's always really supportive and wants me to race. So sometimes I race, sometimes I don't. Um, you know, I was talking to a, one of my friends, and I'm like, you know, I feel stupid racing sometimes. Like, it's just, you know, daft for me to do that. He's like, no, he said, I've got tons of mates our age. They don't even watch the pro class. They just watch the feed to see how you're doing because they're our age and they're wanting to be at these Yeah, they relate, they relate to you. You know, I totally, yeah, and, totally get it. And, and these are the guys that have got the money to buy a five-gram mountain bike. Um, so it, it, you've got to think outside the box, and so I think with BMX racing, you know, the level is amazing. I love watching that super supercross stuff, but I think they need to start doing s- some other stuff. Um, you know, e- even even going and dabbling and doing some, riding some mountain bikes and doing some mountain bike videos and linking it to footage of them riding BMX, which then might sort of get those videos viewed on like pig bike which is huge in mountain biking because the you know you've got paddy sharif who's got one of the most amazing styles on a bike over a jump you've got him riding a mountain bike and then show a segment of him riding bmx you know there's probably a million mountain bikers don't even know paddy sharif is because you don't follow bmx racing Mm -hmm. but if they saw how good on bike he is they'd be like wow have you seen that dude and I've noticed lately, lately there's been a few BMX riders that have come into mountain biking and done some really cool edits. They're not going to go and win any races, but they've got mega good style and they can put out a, a you know a three minute edit on a on a bike park, which is so similar to BMX. You know, BMX we're all stuck on BMX being a BMX with twenty inch wheels and a rigid bike, 
at the end of the day, BMX dance with bicycle motocross. You know, mountain biking is as much as bicycle motocross as BMX is to me. Oh, absolutely, yeah. yeah. Yeah, and I think that's why, you know, we all, um, you know, we, we when we did it all in the, the, 90, the 90s and, and, and 2000s, it was just, I just always loved the scene, the culture, it was fun, yeah. you know, the mountain bike World Cups it was it was always fun, uh, you, you know, just, just, I liked everything about it, and I, I still follow it now, and, and it's just, yeah, I think BMX can learn a lot from it, and uh I think I think me and you need to talk more about this stuff because I say I think people would be interested in this and you can give a perspective that you know BMX that we're all kind of in our own little um, own little world sometimes and I think it's good to, to to talk to people like you that knows BMX but obviously can um, can talk a little about all the stuff on the mountain bike stuff so uh, we should definitely yeah especially with what's going on right now with the Corona plenty of yeah, time yeah. we should hop on hop on this again and and and, and do a follow up you know because I think it's uh, yeah good good conversation you know. Um, if anybody wants to follow you, Chain Reaction, the team, you know, I'll say Sam is huge following, and like I say, another guy yeah. like like Steve and a lot of them guys that probably wouldn't even need to race, but somebody still want to sponsor, and uh, yeah, just 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 as a following, where like like I say, when I see Warner and you and Steve Pete, well, I, I anything you guys post, and I like I enjoy watching all that stuff. You know, it's like it's uh, you, you gravitate to your era, you know, or people that you know, so. I think uh, it's always a good thing. But, yeah, if somebody wants to follow you or check out what the team's doing and stuff, where can they uh, do that? Yeah, so, and obviously, uh, my main sort of social media things, um, Instagram, that's just pager7211. Uh, obviously, we've, we've got uh, Elliot Heaps, really somebody that you want to follow. Just watching the bike skills that he puts out is, is just phenomenal. Obviously, um, Sam Hill. I think Sam's is Samuel 13. Um, our other rider is Keelan Grant. He's an Irish rider and he, he's putting out some really cool content at the moment as well. Um, the, obviously, them guys are on Facebook, um, Chain Reaction Cycles Facebook, uh, New Proof Bikes Facebook and, and YouTube channels, um, any, anything there. And, uh, yeah, uh, just, you know, if, if you're interested in mountain biking, uh, you know, hopefully follow the team and see how we get on when we when we do get back to racing and um, we're always as i say developing products for new proof and so it's becoming a really cool brand um, so there's always exciting stuff to see on there the clothing you know the clothing's really nice when i went to the bmx race the other week you know marco straight away from stage Crom was saying how cool our, our gear was um, so yeah, we're always doing exciting stuff and coming out with new products and um, yeah, as I say, I've, oh, I always will be a massive BMX fan, I love love BMX, you know, that's where I started out and um, everything you do, Dale, your podcast, I always listen to them, they're really, really good and informative and, and something I enjoy to listen to and um, yeah, I appreciate your time and, uh, and, and having a chat. Yeah, let's definitely do it again. I say, I think this, just when me and you were talking on, on the phone, I'm like, man, this is good podcast shit, you know? So I think, um, yeah, I think we'll we'll definitely do this again. And in the meantime, while there's not much going on, just follow Pagey because he's posting all day long on Instagram and you say you've got that backyard track, pump track. There's always people over at your place. Um, you yeah. guys are always riding bikes, having fun and, and putting stuff on, on, on online for us to see. So definitely uh, worth uh, checking out what Pagey's doing. All right, mate. Trying to, and just before, if there's anybody out there, can somebody, when, when we're allowed to, to go and do stuff, can someone please 
letting Dale an e-bike. <laughs> because um, I want Dale to go and do some e-biking and then we can talk about e-bikes on the next podcast because I know at this point he's got no interest in them. And if anybody's rode an e-bike, you'll just know how fun they are and they're definitely in the future. We can so, do an e- e-bike podcast. Yeah, for sure, mate. All right, sounds good. Thanks for listening, everybody. Thanks, Paige, and we'll catch you all next time. Cheers. Thanks. See ya.